finally got that PS5 deep dive. And there's still things I'm still confused about. So, but we'll talk about that. Hey, hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, as always, Mr. Sawbridges, bringing y'all episode one. 55? 55? That's what I was sitting here thinking. Yeah, I actually hadn't had to think about it all this week. It's been crazy with everything going on out there. So I guess first thing I'll go ahead and say is I hope everyone's doing all right without uh, within all this stuff um, and is not freaking out and buying massive loads of toilet paper that they'll probably regret when the economy is bad and they spent all their savings on toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, but if you are not one of those people then good on you. Uh, anyway, uh, this is a big week for Sony amidst all this crazy stuff because we finally uh, got something in the way of a big PS5 dump of information, whether it's what you wanted or not. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, starting this show off the right way, it's time to check in on my buddy who I've not seen all week due to work. I was quarantined from work. For no reason. He didn't well, have anything, sh- I should say. We don't know that. Uh, yes. Well, I did have something, but it was not related to what is going on. Exactly. That's what uh, we're talking about here. Yeah, I had an upper respiratory infection, and so I was sent, I was sent home very nicely and made sure I, I rested all week to make and with everything going around. But uh, yeah, so this week I haven't played much at all. Surprise, surprise! I did play probably twenty hours of Animal Crossing so far. Good uh, game for your situation, though. You know, yeah, what I mean? like all day Friday. All day yesterday, I played it this morning. I'll probably play it tonight when we get done with all of our errands. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. I love it. If you guys, uh, we already have in our Discord an Animal Crossing chat. Um, I was originally going to use that for fruits, but I actually ended up getting all the fruits uh, through various islands that you can travel to. But if you play the game and you want my friend code, let us know in the comments or on Twitter, anywhere that uh, you may want to play. And uh, if you need some fruits, I got them. I got every single one of them. But you can be a fruit dealer. I can be a fruit dealer. But the other than that, like I've played Dark Souls uh, remastered uh, on my PS4 yesterday. I started that up just because with what Corey was talking about made me kind of want to go replay it. And then now he's talking about Dark Souls Three, so it's like crap. You know, I never. Me and you played Dark Souls Three at the same time, but it, it also at the same time. Uh, we never summoned each other, and I was like, maybe me and Corey can summon each other and have fun, like co-op. He's never played the You're game. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So like, maybe he could co-op summon me. The only thing we did on Dark Souls Three was uh, just because it was interesting for us to try. Was when I couldn't beat uh, Lothric. Yeah, and you, we did you the, share played in, to, to, and we yeah. took turns trying that. Interesting. You thought that was fun in a weird way. You know, it's kind of, I guess it was cool because the technology was still really new for share play at the time. So it was like, ah, yeah. look at this. This uh, is cool. And it worked fairly well, actually. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of just dove, dove into that game. Then, for whatever reason, there's a really good YouTuber named uh, Prod, and he does like Dark Souls, like various Dark Souls videos, like mods and, and uh, let's plays and PvP things. And like, I don't know like if Google algorithm is just listening to my discord or what, because yesterday they started recommending, recommending me videos of his again. And I'm like, cool. I'll watch some of his videos. I haven't watched them in a while. And then I was like, you know what? Now I kind of want to go back and make a dark souls three PVP character again. So like, I'm just kind of all over the place without I've been playing. Um, none of it except for animal crossing for any substantial amount of time. I think I played dark souls one remaster for like an hour. Oh, and I did get Octopath Traveler. Uh, it is oh, yeah. half off on the eShop right now, so 30 bucks. I had like $7. You uh, had it before already, though. I bought it, I, yeah, uh, I got about 
let's see, there's eight characters. I got five characters, I think, or six characters in. I got four in, and apparently that's and, just the beginning of the game. Yeah, yeah it's that game. I've, it's very long. I've I played com- it for a long time. I've kind of complained about it, but like the more I look into it, the more that I realize that the overarching story is not meant to be the experience of the game. It's it's each of these characters' individual stories. The overarching story is just kind of there to tie them all in in a way. Yeah. And it's not meant to be this grand ordeal Final Fantasy-style story. You're supposed to get that collectively from all the characters. So um, I actually enjoyed every single character story that I got. Because um, I got Oberyn. I got um, the Hunter. I can't remember her name. Therion, the Thief, and, and Cyrus. And it changes which one you get first based off of who you choose, correct? I think so. I've only played through the game uh, once with Cyrus. So like I can't. I think what it is is like they're over leveled. If you try to go to get the other ones, okay. or like or like not they're over leveled, but it's hard to get to because that area. Is. Yeah, essentially, you'd have a hard time getting to them because of the fact that you're not leveled appropriately. Yeah, and I ended up picking it up for twenty three bucks after using some credits uh, for my eShop. So like that was really really well worth it in my opinion because I, I, really, I love that game. I like the art style and the the combat it and everything. Truly, is gorgeous. I mean, it's it's interesting playing it and and thinking a game. Okay, I should say this. Thinking a game that is sprite-based is gorgeous in a very different way than you normally look at sprite-based games that you thought were gorgeous, you know? It's because because it's got that 3D element of sprite, it's like, huh, something about giving depth and, like, focal point to sprites really changes the way that it looks. Now I'm, now I'm curious how long <clears throat> it takes to beat this game. Ooh. I'm assuming 40 hours. 60 50. hours uh, minimum main story. Good Lord, okay. Uh, 77. I, play, I played for about 20 if you want to complete the uh, story plus extras. And then if you mm-hmm. want to complete the game, the 100% it's 102 hours. Um, so yeah, that's, that's not bad, but that's also like one of my favorite kind of pick up and play kind of like things like where the story, uh, since every character story is like an hour and a half to so two hours long, yeah. a little bit less than even an hour and a half on some of them. Which I grinded very, and explored a lot. So I, realistically, I think I played about 15 hours. Yeah, if I had to really put a time on it. I actually, the more I look at it now, it's the more I actually really enjoy the way it tells its story because it's not something I have to be completely focused in on 100%. Um, and that's the perfect kind of couch RPG. So that's I've, I've been kind of going into back into that. I, I, I picked it up yesterday. And as a break from Animal Crossing, I, I got done with Cyrus's uh, character. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to call it quits for now. And we went and got Togos for Life. So. You know, the thing about RPGs, definitely, you know, classic JRPG style games uh, that's been interesting is a lot of people want them on PlayStation 4 and Xbox, you know. Uh, but it really seems like for the past, you know, probably eight years, <clears throat> if you've been wanting a, a classic style Square Enix game, the place to go to get it is a Nintendo console because it's like Bravely Default was a game that a lot of people loved and it tapped back into a time of Square Enix games that people really liked or really I should say Square games um, that people really loved. So tapping back into that is really interesting and then also going through a little bit later and then getting something more like this it goes to show that they have it's almost like because of the expectation that comes with putting a game on PlayStation and Xbox because of the graphical fidelity and all that other stuff that if it's going to be a big AAA release that's $60 people want crazy graphics real time combat and it seems like that expectation falls by the wayside despite the price point when you go to the Nintendo consoles because like Bravely Default was a $40 game as was normal for 3DS and then this was a full price $60 game despite being different in, in the way that it's set up and played. I do think, though, that like what I like about these art styles is that they are done very stylistically. 
Yeah. And that it, that it. I didn't play Bravely Default, so I should say I, I know what it looks like. Bravely Default 1 was fantastic. But I didn't Bra- play it. Bravely Default 2 that is now like not canon or something. Um, what was it called? Bravely Second. That's what I thought. And yeah. now the new one that's going to be the actual sequel is Yeah, called... this is actually called Bravely Default 2, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. But yeah, Bravely Second was not great. I picked it up on clearance at Target for like $17, I think, or $20. And I was like, I got like. 15 hours in on it i'm like okay yeah and no this is not pulling me in like their first one did but what have you been playing this week uh i beat shadow the tomb raider like i thought about and i I should you know last week i think i i probably came off a little more negative towards the game than i intended to i applaud the game for doing different stuff and not trying to be an exact uncharted clone and for the fact that the game actually does tend to take on a slightly more um a slightly more mature tone than than it does. I mean, and, and that's in all the walks of it. You know, one of the things in that game that I really like going back all the way to even the first one is uh, very gory death mechanics if you fail at platforming challenges. Uh, so, like, if you're doing a platforming thing, a, a lot of them are even wrought with danger in the in the real time. So, like, you'll do downhill mudslides, and you'll have to kind of navigate around things. And if you don't, you'll run into things that have, like, spears on the wall, and you'll yeah. see it straight impale her through the neck, uh, which is interesting because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a shift in tone from Uncharted, which very rarely shows that. In Uncharted, if you fail a platforming thing, most of the time you're just going to fall, and you don't really see anything happen. Uh, in this one, though, there's a cave where you're going through, and it's a challenge dungeon. You don't even have to do it that I was doing. Um, <clears throat> place a chalice dungeon. Challenge uh, tomb, I guess is what I should say, the right wording. Uh, but, you know, if you fall in, the, in that challenge tomb there's wolves and if you're up high on a thing and eventually you can get down to that level but if you fall you fall almost like break your leg and then like you can't get away from the wolves that are all attacking you because you fell and can't really it's interesting so you see them essentially eat you yeah uh, which is a lot different than what you give so I, I do want to give it a shout out but one of the things i do want to bring up about uncharted versus that game is that in a video game way, it's great to have that extra added layer of a bunch of exploration. And it does tap into something that I think Uncharted didn't start really getting into until the Lost Legacy, which is that feeling of like, well, if you're talking about a game, it's people who are treasure hunting, but they're never really given the time to explore and find treasures and feel like you're a treasure hunter. You're just living out a story. So it feels much more like a movie, which I know a lot of people like, but there is something fun about tapping into that. And this game does that. But the problem with that is that it's one of those things where when you want to have a narrative that drives a sense of uh, urgency and, and realism, it's like, oh, man, there's a real threat that's coming. And you'll see the dialogue mirror that. Uh, there's one part in the game of, uh, of Shadow uh, of the Tomb Raider where one of the characters says, we have no time to lose. And then Laura says, yeah, essentially she agrees. And then you start going off. But in the entire way out, you can stop and screw around in so many different tombs and all these different things that are not necessary, yeah. but it be- it becomes a dissonance with the main story despite being really fun from a gameplay mechanic. So it, I guess what I should say is Uncharted, despite being more linear, uh, dis- uh, except for the, the Lost Legacy, which I think also did it right. It opened it up in one chapter and let you handle the story in the progression order that you wanted to and gave you a... Uh, motivation to actually go out and seek these extra uh, treasures that you could pull through on something that was not required, just an extra trinket that let you find treasure easier uh, for the normal treasures that the Uncharted games have had. But Shadow of the Tomb Raider, for as fun as it is, Uncharted does a much better job at 
getting a sense of urgency and keeping it because of the fact that it's linear. If you can drive somebody to where they need to be going and keep everything paced wise, great because you know that they're going to go here at this time because they can't really go any bigger or any different spots. It helps drive the story a lot better than this one, but still shadow of the tomb Raider is really fun. And I got to give credit to the team over at crystal dynamics. Um, or I'm sorry, Eidos, I think was actually who it was. Uh, Crystal Dynamics was originally the one involved. I'm trying to remember that. Either way, it switched developers, and I was worried that, that would make for a lesser game. And I actually think this may have been the best Tomb Raider game of the trilogy. Um, so good on them. Uh, but past that, um, I started up um, Terminator Resistance. It was on sale last weekend uh, for $17. And I was like, you know what? The game looks interesting. I'll give it a chance. And I have been, it's not perfect by any means, but I just beat it last night, platinumed it. And I was blown away by how competent it was. And I mean more than competent. It was really a really solid game if you go into it thinking, this is a double A game. Know that you're doing that. Uh, but it's a shooter. Yeah. And, you know, for some reason, I expected it to be like older style, very linear. Uh, just a shooter, kind of like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, something like that. Is Not it first quality? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's kind of surprising. It's much more akin when you actually are playing it to Metro Exodus meet or a Metro any of the Metro games really. Uh, Metro Last Light twenty thirty three. It's like if you took a Metro game and kind of smashed it up against Alien Isolation. And I know that sounds weird, but it, it really does works. Sound weird. I, I guess, you know, as somebody who really likes the Terminator uh, franchise, but I'm not just like a super crazy fan or anything, I really like the idea. I love that they decided to go with the Resistance timeline instead of trying to make a Terminator movie that's trying to be in the timeline of one of the movies. Because the problem with the movies is the movies are mostly hinged on the fact of something from the future coming back to the past. And the vagueness of the future is kind of what makes it interesting because it's like, oh, you don't really know what's happening, but you're just worried about this character interaction, uh, interaction between this entity from the future and this person from the current timeline. But what's cool about this is that by actually setting it in the timeline of the resistance, it makes for a lot more fun of a game because it's like when you think about what you'd be playing in the Terminator game that would be actually interesting, it'd be loads of Terminators fighting yeah. tons of them and all the other stuff that comes with that and fighting peak Skynet. Uh, Skynet. So this is what this game chose to do. Uh, and I really thought it was fun. Uh, but the problem that the game does have that I'll give is I really like that it's open. And the alien isolation thing that comes into it is definitely in the early game. Is that because like, you're being chased by Terminators or something? There's multiple ones of them around. And if they see you, they'll come after you. And you can't do anything to them. Early game, you have normal weapons. Normal weapons don't hurt them. You have to wait until you get plasma weapons. And then you got to power those up. And there's a skill tree that you can choose to go through. Or it's essentially like an upgrade tree. Yeah. And you've got to be able to put out more damage. Eventually, by the end of the game, you're able to put them down pretty quickly. Uh, which is to the game's benefit and also the game's... It's weird. The alien isolation feeling from the beginning of the game is really tense because you actually don't want to get seen and it kind of makes you want to do stealth. Uh, you get Terminator knives that you can use that are one-time uses that if you sneak up behind a Terminator, you can stab them in the back and it'll decommission them essentially. Um, but I like that aspect and I like the more open aspect of trying to be more than just a normal shooter. Like, hey, we're going to open it up and do something where there's resource gathering and there's crafting and there's actually something that you can use to skill level up. There's lock picking, there's hacking, there's all these other things that try to be more than just a normal shooter. And it succeeds in various different degrees on them. I guess if anything, I'd have to say that the game just doesn't, it's like it has all these features, but it doesn't 
necessarily justify all of them enough to feel like, well, even though it was in there and it was interesting that they were in there, they weren't really fully realized. Yeah. So like crafting is in there and gathering supplies is in there. But unlike The Last of Us, where you're constantly having to look and be like, okay, I'm doing this because I have to scrounge to find ammo and to find these things to pull these items together to survive. In this game, if you look around enough, you can just find the items already built up that you can just get. You can find ammo. It'd be different if to get ammo, you never got it off of, you never got it from random ammo crates, but instead you always had to make sure that you were exploring to find these things so that when you got to a crafting table, you could make your ammo so that you could continue to do well. Um, but same thing with like explosives. You could just find explosives. But if you had me finding the explosive materials, which you do find in the game and can use to make your own uh, things, but if you made it to where I never found any explosives and instead always had to craft them, it would have made the crafting system feel more justified. I find that I didn't really use it much. It's kind of weird there is a crafting system in the game to begin with. Like it works and it makes sense from like the trying to tie into the world situation of scavengers in the future who go out and scavenge and find stuff and trying to hide from the Terminator. And what was this game called to the full name? Terminator Resistance. Uh, crazily enough, me and Blake were talking, the physical version of the game has reached ridiculous heights because it was a limited press. Um, but it was a really fun game. Decently solid graphics and gameplay. Kind of as a double A game, it kind of taps into something that you'd expect to see from like early generation. Uh, but fun and competent enough. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting the way they chose to go with a lot of this. Now, what is cool is there's some RPG light elements and some decision elements where you can get characters, you can talk to them and ask about their stories and respond to them and do things that will make them trust you or not trust you. And yeah. that does later in the game hinge on a decision that they may make. And there's also two different relationship people that you can follow and you can actually romance both of them if you choose to do so, interestingly enough. Uh, but again, some of it, goes too close to almost just being like scratching the surface to say it was in the game. And some of it's in the game, but not as much, or it's not pushed by the game to make you want to use it enough. There's storefronts in the game, right? But I never needed to buy anything ever. So it's like, well, why is the store even in the game? If yeah. I was able to get all this and you could pick up any weapon. So or for the most part, uh, if you killed a Terminator and they, and you saw their gun drop on the ground, you could hold it and pick it up in your inventory. And the inventory system is kind of like resident evil where you have a backpack and there's only so much space and you can upgrade that space, but eventually you'll run out of it. So you can pick up guns at the cost of inventory space and go back and sell them, but you don't ever really need to because you never need to buy anything. So it feels like, again, it, they scratch the surface in a lot of areas. Um, but didn't go deep enough. I would love to see them do a sequel. Uh, one of the things I really liked that they chose to do here is that they actually chose to show you John Connors and explain and lead into something that ties into the overarching universe. So that was cool. Uh, I definitely say if you can grab it on sale or even at full price, I actually think it's worth the money. Uh, but I'd love to see them do even more than what they did with this in a follow-up. Uh, and good on them. The developers Teon Games, T-E-Y-O-N, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they've made a lot of licensed games, but this was a really competent, really good licensed game. And I shout out to them. I really, I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, but that's all I've been playing this week. I just got the platinum on it and I intend to either go to Wolfenstein two next or to go ahead and play the frozen wilds while it's still included for free on PS now. Okay. So I'll do one of those two. So I know that was long winded, but I really like the game and I, I definitely suggest that people who have any interest in it, look at some gameplay, see if it kind of fits you and then try it out. Uh, there's no difficulty uh, trophies. If that's something you're worried about, it's a pretty easy platinum, but fun. Uh, if you want the game to actually be challenging, I'd play on hard. I played on normal 
because I didn't know that and you can't change it. Uh, I would say if you want to challenge, play on hard. It's going to really ramp that up. And maybe playing on hard will make all the other systems make more sense. Like maybe I would have needed to buy ammo or craft ammo myself if my ammo was going less far than it did in normal difficulty. You know? We'll see. Yeah. Either way, um, I guess it's time to go ahead and hop into the community state. Sure. Last week we asked you guys, how would you feel if Sony were to extend Dreams beyond the PlayStation platform and put it up on other consoles, even PC? And we got a lot of cool, interesting takes from you guys. Do you have one ready, Bird, or would you like me to go first? I got one. Uh, over in our Discord, mm-hmm. our patron and good friend Josh Ayers, uh, he says, Dreams, like the PS5 audio dream, is a long-term project, and being on other platforms wouldn't hurt it too much if they intend for it to be a platform. It's not a question of if it will come to PC, but when. Like a few weeks ago, if it's years later, I don't think it's a bad thing to put it out on PC. So I think this ties back into something we were talking about before with uh, how do you feel about Horizon? coming to PC Uh, that was one of the community's take questions and a lot of people didn't really mind it and a lot of them kind of said hey you know if it's years out and that's fine Um, I guess my thing that I'll say in direct response to this and I think Saul probably agrees is I am in the same boat as many of you on Horizon being on PC years later I don't think it affects PlayStation's bottom line in any way if anything it gives them more money and it introduces people to stuff that may want them to actually buy a PlayStation so they can get it day one in this case Dreams is such a unique outlier of an exclusive, and it's almost not even a game as much as it's a way to create games. So I would see Sony getting more out of this game, definitely considering how delayed it was, if they went ahead and pushed it onto as many platforms as possible. Uh, Now, there is some work with that because Switch would be really cool, but I doubt that every creation could work on Switch. You'd have to find a... It'd make it really harder because they'd have to go in and make it to where every creation could also be scaled down if needed to be played on lesser hardware yeah yeah that would be interesting but i i don't think that there's any reason that dreams because of the unique situation that it finds itself in less of a game more of a tool i think that this is one of the few times where i think sony could have day and date put this out on some stuff and it would they would have also seen a better return of investment on a game that took upwards of about 10 years to make yeah and I do think that it would be interesting to have a game like that on Switch, uh, which would mean that if the <laughs> – that means Mario won't get striked like it is now. Yeah, we we'll talk about that, that in a minute. We all knew that was coming, but yeah. yeah. Uh, well, interestingly enough, it was not a problem they had to face a lot on the Little Big Planet games. But the Little Big Planet games were never able to completely make a game that felt as Mario-like as this does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but either way, uh, I, I guess – you know what I love about the idea of this being on Switch is – Switch is a really kid-friendly console, and a lot of kids are playing on it. And if you would put this game on Switch, you would motivate and give a really cool way for kids to find an engaging and fun way to start thinking about making games for a living. And in a way, you'd be finding a way to easier tap into the next generation of potential game creators. Kind of like what Mario Maker does in a way. Like yeah. you, like you see kids making levels on there. This would be like an advanced And version. I think Little Big Planet was that too. I, I would be I would be sure well, I was talking right about now. something specifically on yes. Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying even tapping into that genre, good on Media Molecule to have already done that to some extent because I think that there are, I, I would bet that there are people who are getting into game development right now now, who who only got into it or who are developing games right now who got into it specifically because they just fell in love with little big planets level creator so definitely a possibility uh you got one over on twitter yes i do our good uh, good, our good buddy <clears throat> no fate sorry about my throat he says more the merrier 
I think Dreams needs to be marketed less of a game and more of a game maker. I don't think it should be ever discounted. In fact, I would say raise the price as more games, content, or tools get added. Being an early adopter will then be a benefit for once. <laughs> I don't know if I agree on the price. Uh, maybe... And the only reason I say that is because eventually games in this, people are wanting to monetize themselves. So that if you have to pay $80 for Dreams and then $30 to buy a game off of there. Well, okay, that would be the thing is I think that eventually the ideal situation to, to combat what you're talking about would be to make it to where you can buy games made within Dreams without having to own Dreams. So essentially... Um, I don't think you'll ever be able to do that, though. Well, the reason I bring that up is uh, you remember RPG Maker... MX, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what they were doing is instead of you having to own, like originally, if you wanted to play a game from in there, you had to own it, right? Uh, or you could send it out. But now on PlayStation even, uh, whenever the game does eventually come out, I don't think it's come out, what they've discussed is having a separate app that you download that actually is just a, hey, when people make their games, they can publish them out to this app and you can play these games without having to own now, if that's Mar- the, case. the maker. So that's what I would imagine. If Dreams is ever going to move to the idea of being a platform like that, yeah. that would be the ideal way to do it. Yeah. Hey, here's a separate thing that essentially installs Dreams on your thing, but you can't make your own games within Dreams and fool around. But instead, what you can do is that you can buy games from Dreams here. Yeah, I think... I think that that would honestly like if you did that and you added a new suite of tools to it then yeah that could actually warrant the price going up to like sixty dollars if people could buy your game without having to also buy the game yeah that's what i mean yeah if they implement what you're talking about um, um loki from a uh, twitter he also says it would be a static if it comes to pc or i he says it would be i think he means i would be a static if it comes to pc it would open up endless possibilities for game creation and inspire game creators to realize their ideas and now while true like like we talked about this before Technically, on PC, they already have other means to make games, but this is a very simple way to do so. So it would just allow that many more people to be able to do so. So I think that um, there's tons of games. Like Steam actually is like a kind of a, a, a cool outlet in a way where you can buy these AAA games on there and AA games, but there's also fan-made games on there and and really cool games. And I actually told, was talking to Brett, uh, looking at games on dreams reminded me of when we pitched in about a Ouya together when it first came out and was immediately clearance to like $20. It wasn't immediately, but I mean, oh, it, was it was probably within, three months. Yeah. It was within, it was, the, it was pretty within quick. the first year. Yeah. It but, wasn't $20. I think they were originally going to be like a hundred something. I think it was 59 and that was the, it was 59 for the one we got, which was the black developer. I don't remember edition. pitching in $30 for that. I don't even remember if I'm being, I don't remember I think what actually what it was is that we were both going to buy our own Ouya's. I don't know that you pitched in for the one that I had Maybe as much so. as I think we were both going to buy our own so that we could fiddle with developing on it. Yeah. And then we just never got around to it because, because we, Ky- that was also around the time that Kyrie came and we realized that we wanted to do more something like this. Yeah. And we, we played that thing for like three hours when that night we got it and it was just t- tons of shovelware on there that was funny. Yeah. And then the frog open world game. Man, I don't that remember was what like it was called. Grand Theft Frog or whatever. Yeah. Ooh. Grand Theft Frogo. Grand Theft Frog. I know that's not what it was. It was something like I think it was some alliteration, wasn't it? Like something the frog, like Frank the Frog. Some actually that actually does sound kind of close. Yeah, like it a name and then the frog. It was this crazy, very glitchy game of just a frog. Like, weren't you able to like jump like hundreds of feet high too? <laughs> I think so. And like just scale buildings. It yeah. But weird. again, it was something that was quickly, stupidly made in, uh, but it was funny and it showed it was probably somebody's first foray into, uh, making a game and seeing what they could do. So, 
I think my thing I love about dreams is that uh, you're right, Saul, and that, of course, on PC, other things exist. And I think I may have said this last week, but it's just like dreams is a way to lower the barrier. So like, uh, I think Loki is who you just said was doing it. Uh, yeah. Loki said that it allows more people to realize their vision. I think what it comes down to is that dreams is a great way to lower the barrier in such a way that almost anyone who's willing to just put a little bit of time in could create anything. So what happens there is games that you would have otherwise never seen because they were in one person's head yeah. who had no way of actually putting that out uh, in, in, in a way that could be conceivable and playable as a game. Now they have the ability that if they have the drive, they more or less have the way to make, if not the whole game, a playable teaser that essentially shows what their game was. And then from there, they could get potential interest to go, hey, we'd love to make this into an actual game. And maybe other collaborators will be like, we'd love to help you. And now we make little indie dreams studios that are essentially three or four creators that are all working to make one game because they really like this guy's idea and mindset, but maybe they're better at modeling. And maybe this other guy understands a little bit more about the player logic. So I think it does help bring people together and, and helps them focus on their strengths in a way that's so much more platable to them and like uh, understandable that they can just sit there and, and really come together and make something cool. Uh, I got one more we got on, bless you. We got, we got on Twitter and then we can go on to Facebook. Cause I like, I like Facebook. I don't have Facebook. So I like all this new stuff, but Matt green says, as long as the content is cross platform, then it would be a good idea so that other gaming communities can input their creativity into what would be other, uh, otherwise be lost. But I don't think any game should be truly exclusive to a machine. Maybe have rights for a year, then go to another system. At least that way they benefit from another cash flow when the exclusive deal runs out. And the second part of that tweet is pretty much what I believe. But he does make a very good point about it being cross-platform. It would be cool. Um, maybe somewhat. See, this is like where I leave Switch out of this in like terms of like Xbox, PC, PlayStation. I don't put Switch in that bubble because yeah. it adds a lot of weird things with it. But yeah, like if you put this game on Xbox and then PC and say one year, there's going to be a year's worth of games that they can try for free, get inspired by, create their own games. And then that just puts games back on PlayStation that hasn't had a lot of content for a year because it's been out for a year. So it puts a new con. It's like the cycle. Yeah. And so I, yeah, that's, that makes sense, Matt. I actually, <clears throat> that, that's pretty nail on the head there. And wouldn't that go back to what I was just talking about too? It'd be cool if there's one person who's really creative that happens to prefer Xbox, one person who's really creative in a different way that happens to prefer PlayStation. If you could also make it to where not only is all content cross-platform, but creation of content is cross-platform, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, what was really cool about Little Big Planet is that you could have, and I don't know if Dreams is here yet, I think the way that people are working together in Dreams is that they're making creations on their own and then sending it to one person to put into a master level because uh, you can do that. Um, I th so I think what's going on there, what, what I really hope to see in the long run, I think that they've talked about it if it's not already in the books. Uh, Little Big Planet had the ability for you to have multiple people in one world creating that level at once so that you could have somebody who understood the weird gimmicks, but you were better at making the shapes and whatnot with the creations work together at once. And that could be, that could happen not only over it, couch co-op wise, you could do it over the internet. So you and someone from halfway across the world could work together to make your own level. Um, me and Seth made our own world war two shooter level. That <laughs> was really fun. I think I remember y'all uh, talking about that back then. And it had a sepia tone and we had a gun and you could use the gun to shoot tanks. And the tanks had a little brain that you could shoot on maybe, them. Maybe so I'm just thinking like them. a mini clips game. Cause that uh, sounds like a mini clips game. It does. And it kind of played like one and it was really fun. We spent uh, like two hours making it to where the house, 
house that you start in, you start in a house and you, the camera pans out and you see the level and it snaps back and, uh, you get a little text bubble. That's like, Oh, they're on our position. A, a missile's coming. And then you can run down the house and you don't see it. Of course, but behind where the little doorway was and a little wall that could hide this was a pressure switch that once you ran over it, it would cause explosives within the house to go off and it would just essentially break the house down. That's cool. And then you could keep going. And again, it's not that it was exceptionally well done, but it was well enough done that it kind of felt like super rewarding in the sense of like both me and Seth were like, we did it. We, we figured out how to make the house blow up and go on. And then we figured out how to make the gun work. And we spent about two weekends making this little level of a World War II shooter that was competent. You know, I mean, it was fun enough. Um, and anyway, where I was going with that is that would be the really cool thing about cross-platform is the ability to go in and uh, – and actually have it to where creators across different mindsets can come through with their own thing and go, hey, you know what? I'm on PC and I'm used to liking these tiles of games that you maybe don't see very often. But this system is totally capable of making this type of game that you don't see very often. You know, you don't see real-time strategy very often on consoles, right? Yeah, it's very rare. Right? So if you're able to get somebody on PC who and a guy on console who goes, you know, I'd love to make a real-time strategy game, and then the guy on PC comes in, they work together, you could start seeing genres pop up on console that you don't see very often uh, because of that. So yeah, like be a really Command cool. & Conquer-esque game to finally come back out. Yeah, that'd be yeah, really that'd cool. Be nice. uh, one thing about what he said that is interesting, though, I just I always like bringing this up because I think it's somewhat important uh, to at least understand, I think, why they happen. He mentions that he doesn't think any game should ever be truly exclusive. Uh, and I think that most of us have talked that to some extent we're open to that idea uh, down the line because I, I like that he said he doesn't think anything should be exclusive, but that it should at least have an exclusivity window on there. Because realistically, if, if I'm coming out, and this is something that we're going to talk a little bit more on when we start talking about the PS5's deep dive uh, and that how this is going to really be a point of contention. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but I have a feeling that games made exclusively for one console moving forward are probably going to be closer to being a, at least from the Sony side for sure, more of an impossibility to go to Xbox and then at least more of a challenge to get them working on PC correctly. But we'll talk about that and yeah, what I mean by that. I would say a challenge on PC, somewhat impossibility, potentially. It could, on it could also and again, be, we have to see. It could be developed in a sense that like the PlayStation 5 could use this tech, but but when you have it on another system, it, it, it doesn't it work. Doesn't. Yeah. yeah so, that's how I'm going to well, assume certain well, Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Work. And that's actually an exciting thing. I know that sounds weird to some, but there's a reason that I'm excited for that. Uh, but as for this, uh, going back to uh, just the idea of X exclusivity and putting it on a console. Uh, I think that I definitely, and we all agree definitely in Saul and then some other of our listeners agree that it coming later to another console just for an extra revenue stream is fine. Uh, but I always talk about the fact that exclusives are a really important thing for one reason to me. Competition. Exclusives are there for mainly competition and it drives people to make games that are at such a caliber that you rarely, not in, not never, but you rarely see third parties hit. I do think, though, this is a whole other rabbit mm -hmm. hole. Um, we, we won't jump down, but I do think, though, a year is is a suitable enough time. I, I, my Cause, personal cause thing would be two years because the reason I say that is, uh, well, cause that it, is, is when you've reached, when have you reached sales saturation on your platform? And the reason I bring that up is because you look at it from Sony funded this. Sony pulls the team together. They make it. They allowed them the flexibility to make this really interesting game so that it could be a showcase for their console. And the first year, the price normally, it's getting better, but the price normally doesn't drop crazily. Uh, 
but Sony has gotten a lot better about that. Within two years, you can get God of War at twenty dollars. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't even two years. It wasn't even a full two years. It was, exactly, it was like a year and a half. I don't even think it was a year. No, it was it was over a year, but it was a year and three months or a year and a half. Well, within a year, it was forty dollars. <laughs> yes, yes, which is I'm great. Thinking. And yeah. Days Gone was also forty dollars within a year. Uh, Forty. Uh, it went, or I think it maybe even went to thirty dollars. What's a twenty during uh, the Friday state of play thing? Oh, no, Days yeah, of play. You're right. You're right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, so anyway, what I'm getting with that is within two, two, three years, three years being the window we saw with Horizon, um, most people on your console will have bought it. So you get you and will have bought potentially definitely within that first year would have bought the console to play the game if they really wanted it that bad. So you get the benefit, you give it to your people and you reach sales um, saturation that you can realistically get to where moving forward from this point on two to three years, most of the sales you're going to get are just going to be when you put the game on steep discount during a sales period uh, or when you give it out for like something like PS plus. Uh, so to me, a good move forward for that <clears throat> ideology would be two things. <laughs> <clears throat> and I think that this would still offer an, an, an opportunity for Sony to have a reason to do this. So let's say that two years, right? Within two years, Sony goes, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to put the game on PC and Xbox or PC only, depending on which one they choose to do. Let's just say PC for now because that at least is something they've, they've done. So we're going to put the game on PC. It's another avenue, but at the same day that we're putting it on PC, now that the game has more or least reached sales saturation for people who are going to try and buy it, uh, we're also going to make the game a PS Plus game. And that's how the cycle works. Hey, if you want to play it on for free, you can play it on PC. Or you can you can come get a PS4 and get it on PS4 or whatever. And then on PC, if you want to, because you don't want to have to get a PlayStation, you can pay $40 for it again. It brings the max price of the game back up, not necessarily to full price, though they could do that. Uh, but it brings it up more than they were selling it for on PlayStation. But now that they're giving it for PS4 for free, they kind of offset each other, but also give Sony a ace in the hole of, well, if you play it on PlayStation right now, you can play it for free. So that's yeah. kind of an interesting way to do it. We got one more that I want to do off of Facebook over here. Uh, Mr. Michael Potter Schneider says, I think everything should be cross-platform. By allowing access to IP across platforms, we can reduce unnecessary waste and gaming can make a more positive environmental impact. Now, that's interesting. I there think what he's saying is instead of having to make three retail versions of one game, that you, you instead make one retail version of one game that can play on all three platforms. Now, in a utopian world, that's a fantastic idea. I'm unsure of... PC won't utilize that. It'd be so hard because most PCs don't even have drives anymore. No, yeah. It's very rare um, to build a PC in this day and age to put a Blu-ray drive. So in. I guess the way to really to run your thing home, Michael, would be a all-digital world, which I mean personally... Not even all-digital world, just digital copies for the other two consoles. Well, true. But I, I guess an all-digital digital world only, would, would get rid of the environmental impact at all. If you make yeah. everything digital... Well, well I'm not going to say completely gone because, of course, the internet and the electricity used and all that stuff has... And environmental impact, but at least on the plastic and whatnot used, you can cut down on it. And then it would also make it to where if it's just about if you buy one digital license, that it also extends you that digital license on your other two platforms. That's the closest way you can get to it. And um, that would definitely be interesting. I don't know that the problem exists that if you can, if you, if you buy the game digitally on each storefront, the only thing that's really costing you is just more money. I mean, it says there's no further environmental impact because 
if you're buying it on each one, it's no different than you just buying it on one and then having to download it on the other two. Most of what you're expending is that. But it's an interesting idea. I think every day we see more and more people kind of bucking the idea of the traditional console um, market in the way that it's always worked. Uh, And I'm wondering how much that's going to affect Sony because Sony clearly, as we'll talk about in a minute, uh, they they really like the idea of sticking to, uh, at least in some way, probably a modified version from what we're seeing, but some way to the traditional um, console business. Yeah. So I don't think, and I don't think, you know, I always said all digital will be in the next five to 10 years. I don't think it's going to be any closer than that. Yeah, definitely. Now, I probably would have agreed with you that it'd be closer to five years um, if Sony and Microsoft both would have come out and said that our, our systems will not have disk drives. Yeah, and if they would have come out and said that, I would have been like, okay, yeah, the digital futures. And that's another bubble. being forced. You don't want limp or you don't want Nintendo in. They don't use discs; they use cartridges. Sure, which a yeah. whole another a whole another thing. Um, now that one's a little different. The reason I think that is because when you have something that's completely portable. There's going to be the chance that you're at, you're at a place wanting to play a game and you could go in and buy the cartridge and go ahead and play it day one right there without the need for internet. So yeah. when you're doing something that's so portable that doesn't all have a, a native, like your cell phone does, uh, have a native um, thing, but then you have to deal with data plans and restrictions and whatnot. I think cartridges make a lot more sense to tap into. So who knows? Um but that's the last one, and we're going to go ahead and move over into the Let's uh, shoot through news. these news topics. Shoot right, about like so dollar dollar bills. It's, pretty good. it's going to be pretty easy. Uh, I think Sony really kind of ran the, uh, the meal, uh, of course, for this uh, week with the PlayStation Deep Dive. And with everything else happening with the, the virus going on, I think that uh, there was just bound to not be too much news. So the first thing is uh, something that Saul actually kind of scratched the surface on earlier when we were talking about dreams. Uh, he says... Uh, in no surprise at all, Nintendo, who are known for being incredibly strict about the use of its IP in nonprofit uh, or fan-created uh, games and the like, are pressuring Sony to remove creations within Dreams that use its IP. Some creators have reportedly been contacted by Sony's legal department, but whether this will result in the creations being pulled and what Nintendo can actually do legally remain to be seen. That's that's fake, by the way. The second thing you mean to delete that out? That's been confirmed false. Oh, it's it's fine. Okay, I don't know if it's. I, I don't know. Here's what I say: How do rumors get confirmed false? We can go ahead and talk about it's it part, because it's, it's part. It's part of the same leak. The spec leak. Remember, remember when the leaks were the the specs for the PS5 were mm-hmm. leaked, and then it's not complete what it is at all. It was part of that same leak. Really, it yeah. seemed like this would be piggybacking off. But we'll go ahead and talk about it. So well, at least yeah. people know what we're talking. We about. all knew Nintendo so was going to do that thing with Mario, right? Uh, but again, only interesting that we never saw them quite do it. With Little Big Planet, despite people making pretty competent Little Big Planet 2D Mario games, it might be because uh, Little Big Planet wasn't touted as a game creator. Mm, maybe who knows? And that's why some people are, down, are buying Dreams is specifically for those games, whereas Little Big Planet was more about the platforming, and then that was kind of the maybe yeah side maybe. of the game. Uh, anyway, what we're talking about right here is uh, on the crazy rumor mill. This actually ties into what we were talking about uh, last week with Sony working with Konami on bringing back Silent Hill in some capacity. Uh, there are rumors now that claim that Sony is seeking to outright acquire Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, and Silent Hill from Konami. This seems to be, at least to me, piggybacking off of last week's already shaky rumors, though I did not actually go to what I think was a 4chan post. It, was, it all came from... it all. So there's a leak of specs. There is um, this leak, and there was another leak. 
or I, I don't even want to say leaked. These are all fake. Uh, but <laughs> but it all it was all part of the same information thing. Posts. Yeah, it was all part of the same guy's thing. And uh, of course, the, the 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 oh, there was the backwards compatibility that that the PS5 will support all three systems with four on top. And of, it. of course, right now we I'm still we don't on, know I'm, we're getting into this because we're getting into this in a minute because I'm still so confused on what that, yeah. that, 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 Oh, anyways, uh, it, it's just fake. Like that's that's just once again that somebody every time that consoles have like this thing up here, you always have somebody who's a mega fan on one side and somebody's a mega fan on the other and they're in their quote unquote leaking thing. So that one console seems better. Now that's not to say that this ain't, this might not ever happen, but this, then this specific instance of this being talked about is not true. Well, my thing about why I really don't believe it, and I consider it so shaky. Well, the whole the whole dream team with all the uh, uh, Castlevania uh, classics and, and people coming back, or not uh, or Castlevania, Silent Hill. Silent Hill uh, it ties right into that yeah. same basic idea. Uh, the thing, the reason I think stuff like this happens is I think that, like you talk about this is things that people really want to be true, and I think a lot of gamers uh, look at series that have been so long running, like Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, and Silent Hill, uh, and of course. Konami, who's doing nothing in video games. So this, this comes from a lot of different things, right? People who want to see these games come back, people who want to see them come back in their greatness, and a lot of people view these series at their... Uh, they, they view these series to have peaked during their PS1 or early PS2 days. Yeah. So when you look at this, and that means that these games are so tied with Sony at that point. Most people look at the, the perfect period of Metal Gear Solid being somewhere between Metal Gear Solid 1 and 4, I think a lot of people really land on 3. Yeah, I was going to say 3 in both forms of subsistence and snake, and snake eater. eater. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people look at that, and then when you look at Castlevania, most people's perfection of Castlevania is Symphony of the Night. Most mm-hmm. people, when they think Symphony of the Night, you think PS1. It's weird, though, because for me... Silent Hill? Silent Hill 2, 2. is the big one, and that was a PS2 uh, release, right? Yes, so. uh, but the, the funny thing is, is that Castlevania, for me, is actually Nintendo and... Um, PS1 because Nintendo DS had um, Dot of Sorrow, and that was a fantastic Castlevania game. That was the one where you, I never played that one. I know what you're talking. You played about. as Soma Cruz, and his thing was is that every time you you beat a boss, you get down to its last HP. You have to draw a seal on the touchscreen. You have to trace out a seal to seal it away. And if you mess up, the boss doesn't die. Huh. It was really cool. And That's really actually fun. one of those really good uses of a mechanic of a system. And it was really, it was really stylish of a game. A lot of people did not like it. I loved I loved. Uh, uh, let me make sure it is uh, Dawn of Sorrow. Dawn I mean, that's definitely one of the names. Whether that's the game, well, there's you're talking Aria Asaro too. But I'm, yeah, it's Dawn of Sorrow, and it was so cool with the way like you had, you had to like draw like the um, the thing on it. And, and and sadly, this game can't really be remade. Like I guess technically you could, but like yeah, you had to like trace out it. It'll have like a it'll do it for you real quick, and then you did like Simon says it and do it in the exact same order. Um, oh, it's like a rune. Okay, yeah, you're drawing the rune sigil to seal it away. Yeah, yeah. it was super fun. But yeah, it was it was oh it was oh so stylish. But I think that that's of course why this is happening. These are people that want these games to come back, and realistically, Konami's doing nothing with them. Now, here's the biggest thing. I don't know why Sony would out. I mean, Sony. I don't know why Konami would outright sell the IP to Sony when they could do exactly what they're doing now, not make the games themselves, but license them out to Sony, who could choose to do them exclusively for the PS4 uh, and pay for them and everything. Well, and they could be using the IPs in weird ways too that, that Americans are really 
normal. Like there could be Castlevania arcade games in Japan that are oh, made by well, Konami and stuff. Okay, so what's actually happening is they're pachinko machines. Well, no, I know, I know about what they're those. using, and they're and are saying, themed. I'm so about, they're using the IP in a themed yeah, way. Yeah, well, I'm talking about but they're not developing. Yeah, they're not they're not developing any games right. within this that yeah, are yeah. actual they're traditional just using video the IPs, games. Which is so they're using the IP for the money that it can draw on from that, and of course that's popular, and they make plenty of money off of it, more than enough, and that's also why you don't really see them rolling around, but for Konami to not have to do any more work, license the games to Sony, and then let Sony handle all the brunt lifting, marketing, and everything just so they can have the game, that's a possibility. I'm still not saying that's what's happening, but it seems like what Konami would aim to do before just outright selling their IP, because if they sell the IP, then they can't use it on their pachinko machines and potentially their pachinko Well, they have to lose all business. those. They have to, they, so once you sell that IP, you can no longer make money off that IP. Therefore, if there are any existing, like that's yeah. just the whole thing of like why this won't, it won't come in the way that it's being made now. Yes. Now, um, whether or not we see Sony really try and tap in, you know, what I'm looking at is, uh, you know that Microsoft is doing their, hey, you get to play all generations of Microsoft, and this is how we're showing our lineage and our history, right? Uh, is through backwards compatibility, the way they've been able to smartly set it up. And i got to give them props for that. Even the, the Series X is going to be able to play everything going back to the original Xbox One classics that they have. Sony, I really hope, get to pull this off, but there is every chance in the world that the PlayStation 5 is only backwards compatible, uh, compatible insofar as PlayStation 4. Again, we'll dive deeper into that in a minute. But with that said, if Sony is finding some weird inability to do these, which seems impossible to me, what they may be choosing to do otherwise is, is to tap into that fan base and that history by making new versions or remakes of some of the old games that were always synonymous with Sony. You could make a Donna Sorrow remake using the touchpad on the PS5 controller. Yep. It has to be like really basic runes, but like you could like draw like a circle with a line through it or something on your touchpad. Well, it's still cool because it, it does add a layer of like, well, not only did I just whoop the boss's ass, but I see now I'm like, Yeah. Whoop. Yeah. That that's would, what made that game so cool. Like, I, oh, I loved it. Yeah. This, that's that's, that's a cool favorite, idea. My second favorite Castlevania game. Y'all can yeah. bite me if you don't agree. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, whether we see something come from that, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, Going, thinking back to the PS1, though, as we just were, uh, another PS1-era game is making a comeback in this age of classics coming back uh, in the way of Shadow Man Remastered, originally developed by Acclaim Studios. This remaster will be developed by Night Dive Studios, who already have some experience with the franchise in republishing the original version of the game to PC back in 2014. The remaster is aiming for 4K widescreen support, dynamic shadows, dynamic lighting, HDR, and a lot more modern gaming expectations and features. Uh, so, of course, controller support and all these different things. Uh, this is interesting. I've never played the game. Uh, the art looked really interesting to me. Uh, but apparently it's it's something that's kind of like a superhero-based game. Uh, so whether or not I'll get around to playing this, who knows. Uh, it did, seeing the announcement, uh, one of our uh, listeners and friends, Liam, is the one who posted about it. Uh, and I, it made me go and check it out. And I was surprised uh, by what I saw. So whether or not we see that come back in a glorious fashion or not will be interesting. But hopefully that does well for them because there's something about... I was watching a video the other day and they were talking about old games they loved. And somebody said, hey, you know, if if this game, of course, like every all, the, all these other games are coming back in some kind of glorious remastered, remade fashion. And that if you're loved game beloved game from the ps1 or older is not getting a remake or a remaster it's probably just not going to happen <laughs> because yeah. i mean i get it with as much stuff is going on right now if it hasn't happened yet the chances seem like they're getting lower and lower but um 
I guess you never know when a game like Shadow Man that I've never even heard of has a way to come back. Anything is possible. Next up, and I don't know if you got a chance to check this out. Oh, I did. I love it. It looks so good. Uh, Hello Games teased their first title since the launch of No Man's Sky back at the Game Awards 2018. And now we have a new trailer alongside a release window for The Last Campfire. Campfire. You didn't throw that name in there in 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 your write-out. So I was like... I was like, is this Last Campfire? Is this something different? Yeah. I was like, no, this is yeah. uh, all... The, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the game follows Ember, who is trapped in a strange land in search of a way home. Uh, expect a game this summer. I like, if you check it out, it looks really cute. And I mean that in a really, in a, in a charming cuteness. It looks like it's really heartful. Uh, and in the PS blog post they posted about it, uh, they talk about that they want to foster creative ideas and that this is of course a side game from a smaller team. No Man's Sky takes up the majority of their time, but it looks so charming and I love the ideas. And I know they're basic universal ideas to some extent, but I love seeing them put out in an artistic way. Uh, They said that the core of this game is trying to find hope in a hope in a world that's lost all hope. And it just looks so good. I like this. I like these style of games, the art style. It it looks so good. Did you see the new trailer that was part of the Nintendo indie world? No. Oh, dude. I don't know if it's the normal trailer or not, but I love this game. There's a lot of cool stuff announced at that Nintendo Indie World. They're going to be on other consoles and stuff. Yeah. This was one of them. I don't know if you saw Baldo, but it looks like a level five. I don't know if it is level five or not, because all I saw was a trailer, and I don't remember it seeing level five. But Baldo looks like a, a level five game, and it looks really cool. Um, oh, yeah, it does. It looks like a... A lot like Nino Cooney. Yeah, Miyazaki's uh, art direction from uh, that. But that's, yeah, I don't think that's, it's from Naps. So that's, some, who else? Wasn't that Nino Cooney's second? No, level five did Nino Cooney too. Yeah, I don't know who Naps is. I don't either. Um, they did, they did Gekido. I don't know what that is. It's a very old PS1 game. I don't think it even launched in the US. But it was like a based off, yeah, and Gekido Advance. Um, hmm. Well, either way. Anime fighting game, basically. Oh. Yeah, it, yeah, it did come out. Okay. I, I said, I, I'm familiar with that name. So, like, I knew, and it had to have come out here. But it was very weird. Is it kind of like a Power Stone style fighting game? I don't even know what that is. You don't know what Power Stone is? Nope. It's like a classic Capcom fighting game. Well, franchise. I don't like fighting games. So, like, it except was, like a few. It was on Dreamcast uh, is where I played Power Stone and Power Stone 2. Look, tell me. You're going to know whether or not you've played this. I promise you. No, I've never played. Look this at game. it for a split second. I've never played it. That uh, was very interesting. Uh, dildos came up when I typed in Power Stone Two. Uh, um, that didn't come up on mine. So, well, I went to images. <laughs> I mean, I am too. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. This yeah. got very odd. Very is quick. my safe search on? I don't know. I didn't know I turned it off. Anyway, it looks like that's what you were kind of showing me, but no. I don't know. Never heard of that game. But Power yeah. Stone is a is a fun old game. Also, but it's hot in here. It is hot in here. But yeah, the last campfire looks fantastic. Um, also, I know news is scarce this week, but the just read to the Square Enix thing because this did did because it says Square Enix has released a statement in regard to the COVID 19s possible effect uh, on physical retail copies. The game will release on April 10th as intended, but due to changes in distribution and retails across the countries, they do want everybody that it is increasingly uh, likely that some of you may not get a hold of the copy of your game on release date. And they're saying active on Twitter to let everybody kind of know and uh, keep them in the know as well. If anything does change it. Um, that was good, Saul. 
Yeah, but <laughs> I will say like this is where digital people prevail. Like I had Animal Crossing preloaded. I, I, I don't have this game <laughs> this, preloaded. This but if is I did. This virus is what needed to happen to convince everybody to yeah, go with the digital. Like you're digital. You don't have to leave your house. You know you get the game on release day. You didn't, guaranteed. You didn't say anything, but I was so surprised that you did not have a reaction at all when Blake, the champion of the digital future, just like two years ago, said, "Oh, I'm all di- I'm all physical again now." When he did well, it, no, I, me, said, I said, "I said it makes sense for old stuff, which yeah, is what he's been no, doing." No, it does. A lot of it does, but it's just interesting. Like he's, we were talking about Terminator Resistance, and he's trying to get it physically, which is like eighty to ninety dollars. When I bought it digitally for seventeen, so. Uh, which also ties back into something another listener was talking about on Facebook. Liam was talking about a ton of PS3 games that were on sale or that were, sorry, that were part of a thing. And they're still $40 and $50. And it is a problem. DS games are still like $40. Yeah. If you go to the online store or if you go to the, yeah, the, the stores within the systems themselves. No, if you go to GameStop, a new 3S oh, game is $40. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. But what he's talking about is that a lot of these games you can buy used Oh yeah, like, for much cheaper. Like the Darkness Two was on there for forty dollars. Yeah, sure. Some Heart games will always go like around $60. that sixty dollars. But there's the, the Darkness Two is a fantastic game. But on PS3 digital store, it's still forty dollars. I bought that game for three dollars on PC and played it. Well, see, I think that's the the catch with digital, right? Is that if you it's like you have to wait for a sale. Well, it's yeah, only if, going if, to be beneficial to you. You it's like if you want to play a game right then and there, but you don't want to spend forty dollars on a game that you could go get for PS3 for ten. Then you kind of are, even if you want to, if you're on the store, then you kind of have to go to this thing. Well, I'm going to put it on my wish list if you're on computer. PlayStation doesn't even have a wish list yet. They've talked about adding They one. have terrible filter functions too. Yeah. I don't think, does Xbox have a wish list yet? I have no idea. I don't think they do, but that's something I'm surprised. Pass on Xbox. Yeah. I actually, I do think they, yeah, they do have a wish list on it because I do remember you could, you could click something to add it to your, like, want to play next thing or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah, like the other day I was on PlayStation Store looking for sales and then I was like, let me filter games. And I filtered and, it went, and I t- uh, filtered and then games. And yet there's still NBA 2K20 currency popping up. So, Dude, Sony's online store makes me so angry with that. And that I is not a game. I understand why it's doing it. I don't because that just have a whole separate thing for, oh, no, for no. add-on or DLC or it's, whatever. It's because they don't have that. Well, because it, it's not add-on or DLC. It's currency Make a, make a tab for premium currencies, yeah. but no, they don't. I agree. Even if you go to like their sales and then you go to uh, games or game uh, game deals is mm-hmm. what they're it's called. They're still in there. Yes, I know, and it's it shouldn't. I agree with you, but I'm saying I understand why they're there. Sony needs to. It's not that they need to work on the way their filters work. It's that they need to add more filter see. options to it, help deal with that problem. I wonder if they're because it is an it's a, it's a issue. But also, you know what else is an issue with them? You cannot use the app. I've decided to be smart. And use and take away any cards that I have on anything, and just use PayPal mm, and have PayPal go through my main card. Yeah, you cannot use the PlayStation app to download games off of the PSN store if your only method of payment on there is PayPal. You have to go to the web browser and and do it all through your. I do it on my phone, so it's still the same. But you cannot use the app. Is that why the last few times I've bought games because I, I have that too? It it doesn't give the download to PS4 option. It won't even let you download buy the game on the app. Oh no! It let me buy the game. No, I'm, I'm telling you, it will not. Like it'll say, like you have another, all, you have another payment on there than than PayPal. Then oh, maybe. But every time I do it on the, because every now and then I do use the browser, I make sure I use PayPal. I didn't think my card was listed, but maybe it is. I mean, and that could, and it could be that your that, that your main card is listed through your is 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 
is your main card on PayPal. Mine is, it is. mine is my my credit card I use all the time. Oh no, my, could, mine's my Sony card. It, well, that also could be card. a thing too. That, that that it has to do with PlayStation. But yeah, like if I if uh-huh. it's just it, it's infuriating. But uh, anyway, we'll go ahead and go to the next thing so we can get into the uh, deep dive reveal and talk about our thoughts on it. Uh, but the next piece of news leads directly into that, and I found this just to be really interesting because there are people that act of course, in a number of different ways in support of who they want the best. Uh, but there's clearly something shown here for p- that people are wanting it. So PS5 received its deep dive reveal this last week, as we talked about, and in showing just how hungry for information PlayStation fans are, this very developer and tech enthusiast-focused dry deep dive has been watched over 13.5 million times in just four days, um, which is incredible. That, Probably because people are having to rewatch it to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, and actually, that brings us into just talking about that itself in earnest. Now, I do We're have going, something up that we can do it point by point. I'm going to talk about a little bit of these things. I, I do want to mm-hmm. be, though, because uh, we, me and Brett have not talked about this topic at all uh, in regards to how we're going to talk about it here. If it's okay with you, I want to be very light about this topic because there is parts of this that I still don't understand. Oh, no, not absolutely. Only, not only that, but I will say... Do not, if you've not watched it yet, which I highly doubt if you're listening to our podcast, go watch the Digital Foundry uh, talk about it. It is a 40-minute long video, and it does a much better job about this technology. Uh, of explaining it to a layman. Yes, explaining it yeah. to a consumer, because this original thing was meant for game developers on, and game developers only. Really. Uh, that's it all, was that's for GDC. G- and, so, yeah. Essentially and, tech enthusiasts that care to follow it, but primarily developers. One of my favorite things is that in the comments, somebody was putting Zs, and they said, this was for GDC, and he's like, I don't know what that is. It's game developer uh, conference, you idiot. <laughs> that's like what the comments are saying or game dev conference yeah. whatever it is yeah. yeah um but yeah that's what this is intended for so we're gonna I'm, we're gonna break this down as best as we can and we're gonna get into something that i'm still confused about actually yeah. let, you well, open we'll that start up? with that yeah what is backwards compatible so this comes down to i know that you've read it because i saw your response to it oh i broke it down it's it's, it's a lot of corporate speak but here's the thing. All corporates are corporate speak. No, no they could have come out and said, you are for sure getting these all backwards compatible. Well, hold on. So let's, let's just lay the facts. So the, the reason that this was originally a point of confusion, and it really was poorly handled. Again, this is a talk that was for GDC. The original thing that Mark Cerny had said, he keyed in on and said that of the top 100 PS4 games, uh, we expect the majority of them to be backwards compatible, which made people think that we're only going to get 100 of the top PS4 games as backwards compatible, which was a problem. And then came the question before they realized that he did specify people were worrying, well, how do you determine what is the, what is the top PS4 game? Like what are the top 100 by what metric? Uh, And he did mention that he meant top 100 by in terms of hours played. So in the original mindset, even if that was worst case scenario, 100, you know that you'd be getting 100 of the games that clearly are being played the most, which does make them the most important games to make backwards compatible okay. to begin with. So let me ask you this. Are games backwards compatible and then the top 100 games are boosted? Or is it that there are only 100 games that are going to be back compatible, but they're all boosted and they're looking at adding more? No. So it's somewhere in between the two things that you just said. Because that doesn't make sense. 
but I'll, I'll I'll describe it to you because they have gone back and really have nailed in on what this is. They just uh, they've gone a consistently poor job. I think the biggest thing is that again, so many non tech people were focused on this, and so many people are looking at this for real information about the PS5 that they're going to go through, and they stumbled on that because of so many people uh, doing this. So it was I'd say this: they marketed this reveal wrong. They probably should have been kind of quiet on this and just let people and aggregates watch this and break the information down in layman's terms as best as possible reach out for any extra stuff and then let them publish it because it would have been a lot cleaner and people wouldn't have been so confused they could have just said so and this is again where i'm at right here and we could talk about what they should have done in a minute but at least right now from everything that i understand and i could be wrong but i'm fairly certain i'd say i'm 99.99 percent positive uh what they're saying is that most ps4 games will be backwards compatible at launch most of them, okay. But There's of already- the of the top one hundred is what he is why he brought that up. Of the top one hundred, most of them are working flawlessly. So the reason he was bringing that up is the biggest games that most people play are going to be playable with a one. Past that, most of the games will be one hundred percent compatible with a section of those being able to be to benefit from boost. See, this is what gets me. Yeah, because their blog update specifically says, and this is what I highlighted, we're expecting backwards compatible titles will run at a boosted frequency, mm-hmm. meaning that if it's backwards compatible, it is boosted. Yeah, so, I need to go because I actually read something earlier about it. And that, so that's what again makes me think more. that there's only 100 games at launch, because if, if there are 100 that are boosted, all of them are going to be boosted. They're just giving us 100 at the time being, because this the, the this new update specifically says and even this, like this is this is where I broke it down. It says, and I quote, we believe the overwhelming majority of the four thousand plus PS4 titles will be a playable on PS5. And then they say, we're expecting backwards compatibility titles to run at a boosted frequency on PS5 so that it could benefit from higher and more stable frame rates and potentially higher resolutions. We're currently evaluating games on a title by title basis to spot any issues that need adjustment from the original software developers. So it, they're saying that that all backwards compatibility games, all backwards compatible games, will run at boosted. Yet we're only getting a hundred boosted games. There's a there's a there's a a conundrum here. I get what you're saying, but I think you're reading. I, I, and again, it's worded poorly on their part. It, that, that's they could just come out and say like, "Hey guys, yeah. you're going to get everything backwards compatibility." I think if you, if you re- look at the, if you look at this statement, it's the one that matters the most. The overwhelming majority of the 4,000 plus PS4 titles will be playable on PS5. Now, again, you're looking for more clarification of is that at launch? Is that no? It's at not what even. Point? It's not even. At, it's They're not, going to be playable. I just don't think all of them will necessarily benefit from the boost. And you, you and if I had to say, do you know what I think? Which ones are actually going to benefit from boost all the first party ones i don't mean that because what they're talking about is games that will benefit from boost without having to be patched at all and this is what i think is going on i think what they're doing is testing games the ones that they're worried about are games that don't have a locked frame rate and there are plenty of them that yeah so if you do not have a locked frame rate and you start going into this boost you can lock it but it can be but it's naturally unlocked yeah uh or i think it depends on which setting you did if you put it 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 automatically capped it on one and not the other i don't remember completely but i think what's going on on here is that certain games that actually do play without a capped frame rate uh if you run them through and they're trying to benefit from this boost thing i think what's going to happen is there's a chance that because there's no cap 
it makes it wonky. So what they're probably yeah. looking at is that certain games are going to be able to tap into this boost thing naturally because they're uncapped frame rate and they'll be supported just fine because of the fact that it's, there's no conflict issue. Yeah. Some of them are going to run into a conflict issue. So what's probably going to have to happen is that instead of being able to run on a boosted frequency, what they're going to have to do is make sure they're only running on the 100% CPU acting as a PS4. Yeah, the default. So I think the that's what's CPU happening. CPU frequency that was developed with the game in mind. Or it's the, almost like the, we need a deep dive on backwards compatibility by itself. And that's the crazy thing, which be, may come because actually. that's that's what I get is we're expecting backward compatible title to run at a boosted frequency. So that makes it sound like all, but then they say, well, you get a hundred that are that we have tested that are, um, what is it? The exact thing. Uh, let me see here. I don't know. So. We believe the overwhelming majority of the 4,000 titles will be playable. Okay. And then, then you say, but we're expecting backwards compatibility games to be uh, boosted. Okay. Well, you're going to get 100. Well, like right now, there's 100 boosted games. So is there 4,000 games that we can play with only 100 boosted? I think what they're, again, saying, and it's bad wording. But it's, if, it's if I had to extrapolate. Wording. Yeah, if I had to extrapolate what I think they're saying, and then we can move on from this, yeah. is that they've tested... As, as their starting point, they chose to test, first and foremost, the top 100 games because they're the games that are going to be most likely continuing to be played the day PS5 launches. Yes. Because and, of that. So then, I think they've started with that, and they realize that most of those 100 are already working perfectly, and those other ones, they're seeing what may, may need to be time done. time, will get boosted patches. <laughs> or, um, or, not, or maybe not even a patch, but the system will be able to somehow run adjust. It better. Yeah. And then I think from there, and they've already said they're going through and starting to test thousands of other But games. what's crazy is that they were originally confusing about it. This new update to the blog post is even more confusing about it. Yeah. And then they just won't come out and say, yeah, guys, you get full backwards compatibility with this system, but you only get 100 boosted games. They will run at a PS5 uh, um, frequency. And then then they could just they could just say that and just be done with it, but they're not. <laughs> I mean, I, I get you. I, I do. Because what, what I think is, I think <sighs> I think the entire library will be available with only 100 games at launch boosted. However, as as time goes on, you will see more and more games that that will become uh, developer uh, updated, boosted, or anything like that. Or even the system finds a way to get it. Because this, what we can kind of tap into here as as a analog to this is Xbox One X's uh, treatment of letting you play Xbox uh, original and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty games uh, in a in a what do you want to say. I guess I'll say a boosted setup. Uh, so certain games get an Xbox One X situation where what the, the system goes through and renders the game uh, nine times or whatever it is and then pulls that back down. And that's how they are able to make a game like Red Dead Redemption run at native 4K. Yeah. Uh, or essentially, the textures are not 4K, but the game itself is running at 4K. And then the textures, if they were better, if they were already higher in textures, are going to look better because of it. So with all that said... That happens in a very weird way from from Xbox, and that might be what's happening here. Uh, but I wonder if we're going to get a more in-depth backwards compatibility talk if they go through the point of eventually doing a, a dive that's more for the consumer face. Oh, I, and I, if they do actually announce any plans for at least PS1 and PS2 backwards I guarantee compatibility, you, we'll see. Within two months, we will have a state of play focused on the unveiling of the PS5, unveiling of the controller, and and, and a full comprehensive answer on what backwards compatibility is for yeah them. you know it would be a huge shame they, they're getting drugged under the mud by like there's like nibble i think it's his name or nibble yeah on twitter is dragging them under the mud yong yeah is dragging them under the mud there's famous personalities out there like guys fix your wording nobody understands what you're saying yeah and then there are people in the comments that are arguing about it too 
because nobody understands it properly. And like, we all have things we think and like what we hope is what it is, but we don't know for sure. And I think that they're getting called out right now. Somebody even says, well, didn't y'all know that Don Matrick works at Sony now? <laughs> so oh, man. I, I will um, say that is my one negative thing about this whole entire, this whole entire fiasco was a, I do kind of wish that they have done a more consumer version of this since everybody is home now. They're, they're not going to, but some people aren't able to go to work, can't go to school. I think that they, this should have been a more fun thing. And the whole GDC thing should, could have come later. Um, to expand upon what they would have delivered in the first one. Well, I think why even if if that's going to be the goal, right? Why even bother with the GDC thing, GDC thing at all? I don't. Why not just scrap that and do one that's a mix of for people who are tech enthusiasts, they can get that. But here's also a way to show it. It would have taken time. I really think is what it comes down. Let to. Let me ask you this too, like, because it does not. This, this doesn't seem like this to me. But do do developers really use this video as reference? I think so. Do they? I, it doesn't I really seem like they do. Because here's the thing. <laughs> If you look at the general cons- consumer consensus about this is the average consumer is kind of like, I didn't understand a lot of that. And it, it has 10.5 teraflops. And, and they're focusing on one thing. Yeah. But almost overwhelmingly, every post I've seen that's positive about the PlayStation 5 is people who are, who are developers who, who are freaking out going, oh my God, I can't believe this. There are people who are really big into tech and are known for it. People like from Digital Foundry. Well, people who are on teams that make games that are really, really put. So when you see people who are like co-directors of The Last of Us 2, which that one's a little bit weird because there's could potential conflict of interest in terms of whether is, they're being yeah, genuine. But let's just say, and I don't know for sure, but let's just say that uh, one of Rockstar's head developers sees it and s- it says, this is amazing. What we'll be able to do with this is going to be incredible. It, go- it does show you that this is a way for developers to understand more of what's going on and what they're going to be able to work with as they move forward because not every developer is going to have a PS5 thing right now anyway. So when you're going through and looking at that, I think it does help people and it helps people who are looking to get into console manufacturing. Past that though, uh, to round out specifically backwards compatibility and then we can move on. The only thing I'll say is that it would be a really big shame for Sony to let Microsoft, who's been in the game shorter than them and has impacted it in no no hate on Microsoft, but they've impacted the video game business in less ways, I think, uh, than Sony. They have done some very major ones. We have Microsoft to thank for online gaming and its popularity, and no one can ever take that away from them, uh, at least on the console side. Um, anyway, with that said, I think that it'd be a real shame considering how many crazy original good franchises that Sony has to not try and include as much backward compatibility as you can. If PS3 is still a state of, of concern where they can't do it well, that's fine. I don't think there's any problem with that. I think all it comes down to at this point is that Sony needs to put as much of history of their consoles as they can into this one and not let the competition be the one who's getting away with that. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Again, I think it's cool that Microsoft's doing that, but Sony should be doing it too. That's essentially all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so from there, we're going to move on. I think from here, we're going to actually just talk about a little bit about what the system does from what we understand uh, and kind of give you our, our best example of kind of a layman's uh, ability and talk about the things that we thought were cool from what we did understand. So one of the first things I want to bring up, and it's one of the things that they actually opened up the the deep dive with, is the number one requested thing from developers, and that is the... SSD, the solid state drive. Um, Saul, I want to ask you a basic question. You have been the person for a long time now that has been on the fence about whether or not you agreed with or whether or not you believed the speeds that they were talking about from the SSD. Has this helped you at all? 
it's not about believing either. It's like I want to see that Sony is the king of talking about a technology or a peripheral or a feature and then abandoning it almost always. The PlayStation I, the the um, I can't think what the VR gun's called now, but the the VR gun isn't supported by a lot of VR supported uh, titles. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you have a lot of things that they've started up. The whole, the whole, and the whole PS Now thing, I guess, technically came from, um, uh, Genkaku. Oh uh, no! Oh god! I can't believe it. Now I can't. Uh, Gaikai. Gaikai. I think I put Gaikai and Genkaku together, <laughs> which is the, the the Vita hacking app. Uh, uh, but yeah, like there's there's people say that that's kind of where PS Now came from and all that. I'm not entirely sure that's true. Um, but. <sighs> I will be shocked if what they said can happen actually is put to use in more than first party titles. The fact that they say that it only takes you five seconds to look to the right, they can render the entirety of your right in five seconds. I don't, I don't or in one second, it actually was half a well, second. Yeah, what you half said. a second. Yeah. Because I think the actual stat there was 5.5 gigs a second. Yeah, 5.5 gigabytes which, a second. So he said that, and, and that's, un, that's, uh, uncompressed or whatever. So essentially, if you're doing compressed data, you can do so much more. Is what he's saying. You know, if you're dealing with compressed data, you can handle it differently. Uh, I was just rewatching a little bit of it this morning when I was going through this. Um, that's actually the thing that excites me. So this goes into you know the SSD is a very big difference between these. So I don't know if you remember the leaks that we've been talking about here and there. The leaks for a long time were that yes, the the overall power potential of the Xbox is higher than the PlayStation 5s, but that the SSD is greatly superior in the PS5. And we know now that that is true. I mean, that is what's happening here. Yeah, um, so you're, you're... Now, the one thing about that that becomes a, a situation of weirdness here is that because these systems are so different and the way they're doing things is so different, there's no real way to say which one's actually more powerful because Teraflops is specifically a GPU potential power standpoint. And there's so much stuff around that. And he even addresses that in the video, not specifically in regards to Xbox, but he, specific, he specifies that Teraflops are uh, interesting and a good metric, but they're not everything because there's things that don't tie into Teraflops that when you increase your band, your, your, your chip speed, essentially what way how many gigahertz is it moving at if you bring that clock speed up all those other things increase but that doesn't increase the teraflops at all though it does give you a lot more to work with so one of the things i want to do with this is make sure we're not going too tech talky that way we don't yeah like confuse that's, people. that's why i wanted to keep it really really light um mainly because like there's there's a there's going to be better outlets than us to learn Absolutely. about this uh and b is because there's still stuff here um, that we are unsure about, like the IO throughput. I know what that is. I don't know. I don't know that's utilized in a system, but I don't know metrics for it at all. You mm. could you could tell me what that has is is good or bad. I don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah. anyways, um, so I guess the one. The, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the things that's like most exciting to me. And this ties into what I was mentioning earlier, so we can get into that uh, after. But I love the idea of choosing to use the SSD as essentially RAM. And that's what's happening. Way, yeah, it is. You're going to, because of what they're able to do with their speed, 5.5 gigabytes a second uh, from this, what's going to happen, they're talking about the ability to essentially tap into directly to the solid state drive to get your textures and whatnot on the fly so that if somebody turns, you can go, hey, and his exact words, you know, if it takes roughly a half second to turn, can you render 
everything in that half second or what can you render in that half second yeah and he said about four gigabytes of of compressed data and he, and he mentions that's about what he feels is right for next gen's needs yeah so, that's a lot of that's to me, a lot of compressed game data that's that that is there are games that are compressed that cost half that that are massive games still so indie games to, to give this but, like more of the layman spiel what i love about this is that no longer would the game need to work the way it did the the hard drive of the ps4 was essentially a bottleneck. You have to deal yes. with what the hard drive's limitations were on speed. So the games have to be built around that. What he's saying now is that you can build a game that doesn't even have to ever move any of the textures or anything into RAM. It can if you want it to, but if you don't want it to, the speed is high enough that it'd be able to pull directly from the drive and move this stuff as quickly through to where it, if it needed to, it could supersede RAM, yeah. just go around it. Now that's amazing because that's going to change the way that people are want to make their games. Now this does come up to what I was mentioning and this is exciting, but also weird for the perspective future of a non, nothing ever being truly exclusive anymore. And that means that it's exciting in the sense that, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X are so different when the three when the Xbox 1, sorry, and the PS4 were so similar. Yeah. That if you look at like, you know, PS4 and the Xbox 1, there really is no reason that you couldn't just take the same game and scale it down a little bit if you needed to to make it run on the Xbox 1 at launch. And of course, now the Series X, you could take the game from the PS4 Pro and scale it up a little bit to make it look great on the Series X because they're so similar. Now, what's happening here <clears throat> is that when we start talking about exclusives, especially from Sony's side, with the fact that they're going to be potentially using this this solid-state drive speed the way they are, it's exciting that there's something so drastically different that, that you're going to see games that are being made to use these things in very different fashions. But it also means that if you take a game that's made to tap into this crazy hard drive speed, is it even possible to take that exact game the way that it is and the way that it's made and put it onto the Xbox because the Xbox I'm, right now doesn't have the Xbox series X will not have that speed for the this, SSD. It's going to have about half of that speed, so which this is still is, impressive, but it's not what it's not what Sony's doing. And it doesn't mean that one's better or worse. And that's, I think that the biggest thing I want to say here, nothing, it's not that one's better or worse. That comes down to just preference of what, the game developers trying to make and what they see, but it does mean that exclusives that are being made and trying to tap into these specific features differences, it's going to be hard for them to pull that off because speed is not scalable in the same sense as, you know, if you build a game that requires that speed, that's not the same as building a game and going, well, Hey, our game is going at 4k 120 frames per second. Well, if we put it on here, Maybe we can still do true 4K, but that won't be able to handle 120 frames per second. So we're going to scale the frames per second down to 60. We may even have to scale the 4K down to just sub 4K a little bit, whatever it is. Graphics are scalable. Speed is not going to be scalable in the same sense. So go ahead, Saul. Well, my thing is is that I am kind of curious. In a point you made where <clears throat> this, is, this may be technology that cannot be uh, developed onto one system and then put on another in a sense, you know, you have this, the way this, the, the game is developed for this SSD. This is what worries me because I hope that's not true because that means that you will not see this being used pretty often from third party developers. That, that would mean that the development for the PS5 would just be too annoying and too challenging for them. And it might even be too time consuming for some of them to not even worry about doing it. So they don't include it or they don't get these games. Um, so I could actually see like maybe Call of Duty not being able to do something and Sony saying with Activision 
like they have a normal partnership like they have had for the past couple of years, them canceling that partnership because Call of Duty can't implement that. People at Activision can't implement that as easily as Sony wants them to. Maybe it's too time consuming. It could be a multitude of things. If it's something that isn't too far off of what a very common development path is, we won't see it used except by Sony's first party. And this goes back into what I was saying is, are we going to see this used? And how often are we going to see it used? Because I can guarantee you'll see it used from Sony first party for sure. Yeah. Sony second party, yeah, maybe depending on the studio, but then you got multi, you got third party and then you got multi-platforms. I don't think we'll see this often unless it's very easy to implement, which in the case of him is, then that means that it's win-win. You have your super powerful Xbox Series X that it can play games in true 4K. At, at, I think uh, I expect true 4K from both systems, by the way. Yes. But I think that Sony is much more gearing for 4K 60 or even 30, depending on what they choose to do per game. Yeah. Whereas Microsoft seems keen on the possibility of eventually having games that can tap into upwards of 120 frames per second. Gears, Gears 5, if I'm not mistaken, now I don't have a 120 hertz monitor or anything, but Gears 5 that they showed in the Xbox uh, Series X thing they did like last week mm-hmm. was at 120 hertz. It was either 120 hertz or 60 native 4K with 4K textures, Yeah, which is very, that's not a console that like I, ideally. Now, I don't, think, like there's right a, now, I don't yeah. think there's a game that can run true 4K resolution with true 4K textures at 60 frames per second on console. I don't think there is one. Not right now. Yeah, and it yeah. could be an indie game or something that's out there that could do that fairly easily, but no AAA game for certain is it can do that but i don't know if that means that because because even then the teraflops which i'm gonna have to go back to that because that's what people are, are are stouting and stuff teraflops are a big deal and they're not a big deal at the same time teraflops can determine a lot for the gpu but does not determine a lot for the game overall and i think that that's where a lot of people are coming into problems with this like saying Oh, well, the Xbox has uh, 12 or 12 or 13, and then uh, the PS. It's like 12.1 or something, I think. Yeah. No, I think theirs is 12.5. Isn't Sony's 10.1? Maybe it's on here. I don't think it is, but uh, maybe But, it yeah, is. It's, 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 a, it's a 20% uh, difference. That's a lot. It, it is. It really is. But it's also not. It's a lot depending on what you're talking about. Graphical fidelity? Sure. Running a game? Frame dropping and like that? No, that, that has nothing to do with the CPU. Um. So, yeah, you're going to have one console that's going to be like kind of it kind of almost goes back to what people used to say about like the 360 PS3. The 360 had games that looked amazing. And then you had the PS3 that were doing completely different things with those games. Like the load times on PS3 were better in some of these games than they were on the 360. The 360 also had this weird cache you had to go in and clear every now and then to get load times. Like when I first played Oblivion on 360, it was three minutes. I do remember that. It was three minute loading windows. You had to go in and tap like R bumper, R bumper, L bumper, L bumper, X, Y, X or something to clear your cache. Uh, and it's super, it's super uh, dumb. You do not have to do that on PS3 at all. But PS3 had other issues to get around. Yeah. So uh, before we go too far from it, I, I mean, if you have anything else you want to go in there, I do want, I, I do want to say that I feel like a lot of that's, being at least touched on, we'll never know until the system's out. Yeah, you will never know until the system's out. I I, I fully intend these games uh, to to run. I really want everything to run at 1080p, 60 for sure. Your or an option to go 4K 30 or 4K 60, depending on the game, because you're not going to run. I don't think you're going to run Greedfall 4K 60. That is not a game. I'm not Greedfall. Um, Cyberpunk? No, 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 no. The other fall. Uh, 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 the the new game. Greedfall is not oh Godfall. Godfall, yeah. The, the names are too similar. But yeah, you're not going to run Godfall at 4K60, I don't think. 
You Maybe. might, you might, but like, oh, I, I really do. I, I mean, if, if I got to say right now, from everything we're seeing, 4K 30 is going to be 100%. 4K 60, yeah. I see it's very possible. I but, see it's possible if you use stuff like interpolation and stuff like that again. I think it's, I, I don't know. We'll see. It depends on how much the CPU is a bottleneck. And we don't know much about Zen 2 cores because they're not out yet. Our DNA stuff is not quite out yet. Yeah. And that's the GPU, actually. Uh, but I, I well, think I mean, about, because GPU and CPU work so close together. But again, I don't want to go too crazy on this. So, Backing up to that, I think that they are trying to at least do these. I think two things happen here. goes back to what I was just saying a second ago. So I don't think that there's any reason that we're going to see games not come to PlayStation because of this. I think if anything, what you said that's potentially true is that some third-party games just won't do it unless it's incredibly, incredibly easy to implement. All that will mean, though, is that you maybe won't have the quick, as quick of a load times as you would have had on something else or whatever it may be. Speed is going to be the only thing that's affected. Well, now, I, the game could still play because here, if, if you're... Okay, so the game... Let's just break it back down. Uh, let's say Call of Duty, like you're talking about, uh, is on Xbox and on PlayStation. Yeah. Graphically, the only thing that's going to keep... The, that's going to be an issue is that the graphically, they might have to scale back the PlayStation 5 version a little bit in comparison to the Xbox Series X version. There's no reason if third parties are using the Series X, if that becomes the easier thing to base as your base console, then they'll use that. And then they'll just, as they need to and as they are willing to, tap into the PlayStation 5's extra benefits, right? Uh, if that's end up being what happens. So for me, I see it as because of the fact that graphics are scalable, there's nothing that you could put on the Xbox that wouldn't be doable on the PlayStation 5. Now, the inverse is going to be harder because the Xbox doesn't have the space. So all that's going to happen is you won't see games not coming out on PlayStation 5 because of because of this weird little quirk thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. But what you will, but you may see is that third parties aren't tapping into it as much as they could be, which is a shame. Uh, And of course, in this situation, first parties are always going to be the ones that are going to benefit the most from this thing because they're going to be the ones that are like, oh, well, we can make the game specifically for this, which goes back to what I like about. You know what I said? Or, oh God, clearing the cash. Do you remember what I said earlier about um, exclusives and getting them between consoles? <clears throat> oh man, watching that has made, almost made me lose my train of thought. Yeah, um, stupid. I'm trying to go back to where I was. Enter, oh, enter a cheat code to, to delete your cache. Or so, your cache. on in regards to uh, what somebody mentioned earlier about not wanting, not, not thinking any game should be truly exclusive. What I like about exclusives is that they lean into the hyper-focused um, optimization of the console they're running on. So now that we're getting systems that are very, very different from each other, I relish even more so than before the idea of exclusives because if you buy the PlayStation 5 and it has this weird thing, but third parties 50% of the time use it, then and they don't use it to the fullest extent that a first-party game would, then what ends up happening is that you really aren't getting the most out of that system. What's so great about a game like The Last of Us on PS3 is that it could be it could happen on PS3 because they were able to 100% make that game work perfectly for the PS3's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So when you have a game like, if you look at The Last of Us versus other games that were coming out at that time point, I think The Last of Us really stood above the competition because it was able to be that. It, yeah. Third parties could not hit that same level. So now when you're looking at that, that's going to happen again. And I'm actually kind of excited for that because exclusives are going to give me a reason to see this thing used for exactly what Sony, the creator, 
thought, you know, it'd be really cool to do, do this and see if people see what people make when you give them this kind of leverage. And then they can go to their first party and say, Hey, you don't have to worry about making for the PC or for the Xbox or for any other number of hardware possibilities. All you have to do is make something for this. What would you do given this as your and then you'll see some really crazy stuff that's interesting come out of that and that's okay i don't mind that probably 20 percent of the games that come on the console are going to be able to benefit from that power as long as the other games still look good and 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 work well that's really all that matters to me but i do think that there's something to be said about being worried that it's not going to use all of the individual things that are going to be unique about playstation 5 in comparison yeah because you're still going to get these games that are going to be vast in nature and i and i do want to point out something that people do seem to be getting incorrect on on um everywhere reddit and twitter and youtube comments so the the people are saying that the ps5 are not gonna have load screens anymore that's that's just not true there are still going to be games that cannot uh that the dev- that the devs are going to poorly create that are going to have load screens, uh, and I mean like load screens like Bloodborne or a startup menu screen or something like that. Uh, people are saying that even if they do, that the Xbox is going to have like a ten minute loading time, and the PS four or five is going to have like a two second loading time. First of all, no, that's way too much of a gap. <laughs> it's not even not even in minutes. Like uh, uh, how fast an M two uh, 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 or M dot two NVMe is when it comes to loading games. That is the fastest thing you can have. You can load into a planet on, in Destiny in like less than five seconds with that. Uh, you can load in the tower in less than three. It's just ridiculously expensive. Luckily, you get a, you get one in the Xbox. But yeah, people people think that like that this means that load times are or one hundred percent going to be non-existent. No, load times are still going to be there. Uh, may not be for all games, but it's they're still happen. And when you and that's, that's well, people are just looking at things to kind of compare with. Like and, I should say this on both systems. Truly, on both systems, but on PlayStation 5, it's just going to be greater because of the speed. It is true that, for the most part, load screens, and and Mark Cerny says it, this is all based off of if things happen the way they want, of course. Uh, You never know. Sometimes they promise things that don't quite work the way that you think. That always happens. It's always a a possibility. you got to think about all the third-party developers and and, and all the multi-platform games that can't do, like like you said, they can put it in there for PlayStation, sure. Well, yeah, but but you know the the nature of the hardware, uh, the nature of the thing that's giving it the benefit is already going to be there. So there's no way to slow down the base speed of NVM2E. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. So all that's going to happen in this situation is that if games aren't able to dig into that extra speed, they're still going to benefit from the overall speed. So load speeds are probably going to be, load windows and load things are going to be a thing of the past insofar as you will see a transition, but there will probably not be an actual load screen anymore because of how fast it's going to be. Well, the, now, from that, I one of the things that Mark Cerny load, load said, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that's what they are. But you're not going to see one that's like Bloodborne where you see information come up yeah now You're not because there's no being, need for that now but what actually mark cerny said watch and grand it, theft auto 6 still have that the stupid <laughs> beginning loading screen that happens in every grand theft auto game maybe uh, but one thing mark cerny said that if if true is telling is he said that developers with this technology may actually have to slow the game down because of how quick these transitions are going to happen yeah because they that you do things like um people don't realize that like going through a a door very slowly in a game is a loading screen like yeah. it's just like what the animation of you not playing for a second and that honestly is probably like what a lot of capcom and um square enix games are like i thought about it and in final fantasy 7 you literally take one step before then you have a, a, a text it's loading up the world you're about to open up it's not it, it's a loading screen and kingdom hearts 3 probably did it too yeah. resident evil 2 kind of does it too very very minimally in that game but um it happens and i think though you're not gonna be able to cut that out of a game 
for all for a multi-platform game say if call of duty has this part that acts as that where you run up to a door and you're and you and you have to open up a door real slowly or something it's loading the area behind it and that's the only reason you're having to do that they can't cut that from one game and, and not put it in like the ps5 version it's not gonna be an open door like all these goat loading screens that are aesthetically there are still gonna be there for multi-platform games um but people everybody is looking for a thing to compare them to right now and like I get it that you want to compare, you know, your favorite console versus the the enemy console or the rival console. It's just hard. Like we're dealing with brand new technologies we've not seen before in one of them, and we're dealing with console strength that we've never seen, or nor thought I would see, especially with our DNA two being in the Xbox One Series X two. If I had to Xbox compare, the, the closest we've probably been in a power standpoint to this uh, is PS three. Now PS three was just really hard to work with, but it was really powerful. See, but, so I, I think in terms of power compared to what was expected at the time of the technology, the problem is, is that PS3 was incredibly powerful, but it wasn't necessarily as beneficial in making games as you would have thought. So this comes down to, this is clearly looks more aimed at making games well, and that's hopefully what we're gonna see. Um, but I wanna go ahead and get through the rest of this, because first of all, Saul, I know that you've gotta go and handle the uh, the stores, and I don't want Annie waiting on you too long. I think that I don't know if you realize it's almost three o'clock. Yeah, I did. So uh, anyway, what we're going to go ahead and go through now is uh, a couple things. So one thing is going through to the GPU. Uh, we've already talked about the GPU and the CPU are going to have variable speeds. Uh, now it's going to be a lot different than what you see from like phones or from the even the PS4 Pro. All the systems are going to react in the same way. Like every PS5 will react in the same way in the same environment, regardless of temperature. So that's good. And I don't want to get too much further into that. Essentially, though, the power is going to be able to move around where needed. And that should be able to essentially make up for any of these differences in power, I think is what they're aiming for. Even though it's Mark Cerny specifically says, you know, just because this is here does not mean that you don't have power elsewhere that's not accounted for in the teraflop number. So I think they're trying to find ways to give you the same performance as 12 teraflops, but without actually having to do that. And that probably helps them in cost as well. Uh, now we'll go to the next thing that I think is something that uh, everybody was really interested in and definitely saw, I remember him mentioning that he didn't know how it was gonna work out, uh, is ray tracing. Now the first thing I wanna bring up before we start talking about the actual graphical use of ray tracing uh, and this, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of save it because this kind of goes into the audio thing. So we're gonna talk about graphical ray tracing. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know, ray tracing is essentially a, a way of looking at the environment, casting how many rays you can over, and then using and looking at that information to more adequately show light within that area. So the one the way that PlayStation Five is trying to do this on a more budget friendly setup is that there's levels and scales of how you can do it. So you can go to global illumination, which is just trying to get a better way for light to come down and hit everything and how it's going to react. Then you have improved shadows that you can actually go and check out. And I urge you to, if you're interested in this, go look at games that have been added, have had ray tracing uh, added in, even sometimes through mods and see how much different the lighting acts and reacts. It's really interesting. Uh, reflections is the next level up of things that you're gonna be able to get more realistic reflections that are not having to use screen space reflection. I don't wanna go too deep in all that. And then full ray tracing is the last thing. Um, and Mark Cerny was talking about, of course, developers are gonna be able to kind of use this and scale across it. So. I think it kind of answers a little bit of what Saul was talking about. Is This is real ray tracing, but it's like using ray tracing in a scaled fashion instead yeah. of it being always 100% full ray tracing. Yeah. So if a developer really wants to sell their scene and they have the overhead power to do so, 
they can go ahead and use full ray tracing. But if they only want to do reflections, they can only focus on reflections. Uh, and that's interesting. So ray tracing is going to be something that's going to change the way lighting looks in games. I would definitely expect you, you think that games have great lighting right now and don't be wrong. They do, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. Ray tracing is going to simplify a lot of that and let that same great lighting happen without having to have teams that are focused on pre-baking all this lighting in. I've still come to the conclusion. I still don't really like HDR that much. I've tried it on multiple different games and it's just like, yeah, I love it. It makes it look so, make it look so dull. And I don't like, I don't like dullest realistic looking games. Like I like contrasting like in uncharted where it's, it may be deeper like skin tones, but then like the green is more green than it would be in real life. Obviously as opposed to like neutral skin tones that look more realistic with dimmer greens. I'd say it depends on game and, and use, uh, because as you can see with a game, even like red dead redemption two that launched without real HDR, it goes to show that developers haven't always known what to do with HDR. Greedfall also has terrible HDR. Um, it looked great on my TV, but that was actually about it the just bit. became dull. That's that was the did. other thing I was about to say is uh, TV matters, and as much as as much as you have a good deal on those TVs, getting HDR getting HDR on a two hundred dollar TV is not going to be the same HDR that's in a fourteen hundred dollar TV. Excuse you. Okay, but you you get my point. Yeah, and of but course it, the type of TV you have. So realistically. HDR on OLED is going to be a lot more noticeable than HDR on an LED. It's just how it goes. But uh, I would urge you to go and look and, and try out a game like Horizon. Uh, it's amazing just how much more pop there is for the green in something like Horizon. I think it depends on the game and how they use it. I don't even. I didn't even think HD, uh, Greedfall had HDR. Oh, it does. I don't remember it telling me to turn it on. It does because my TV does this weird thing, and it might be all TVs that do this. When it goes to HDR, it flickers. Yeah, it flickers yeah. and it says HDR in the yeah. corner. Yeah. My TV does that for uh, – it did it for another game. I was I'd be willing to bet that's not real HDR. Uh, or it's it not doesn't look like – it looks like it turns the game black and white with a yellow tinge. Like it just looks dull. Uh, you, you should bring Greedfall over and, and look at it on my TV well, yeah, and would you'd if it be was surprised. Digital. <laughs> True. Uh, if I ever get it again. What other game do you Because I, 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 I promise you – uh, dude, there are so many games that the HDR helped a ton. Red Dead Redemption looks so much better now. That than might it be did. another game that I'm thinking of. I can't remember if I kept it on or off. There's but a, there's, there's two game. different HDR versions in Red Dead Redemption as well. One of them they still call HDR, and it's the one that the game launched with, which is not real HDR. Then there's real HDR, which looks dramatically different. Definitely in the way that lighting actually envelops things, and that's the crazy part. But, I mean, that's one of the things that's going to be weird about this is HDR, unlike ray tracing... Thankfully, HDR is something that's going to be a little bit more based on the TV that you have. Thankfully, ray tracing will be visible across all TVs. You'll see it. What's your icon in Discord? I've always wondered. <laughs> so, so you can answer this question live on the air. So all of our people Discord. live on the air. If you are in our Discord and you wonder what it is, uh, I was changing from my Halloween or sorry, my Christmas Sora. Uh, and I said, I don't know what I want to make my thing now. And Mr. Richard Radio Race in the Discord sent me a picture of an elephant with its trunk, with its like, trunk over a wall of an outside public toilet that's got little brick things, yeah, and his nose is going down into the toilet and drinking water. Gotcha. That's it's hilarious. And I've just never bothered to change it because <laughs> I, th- I mean, it's funny anyway. Uh, okay, so moving on from ray tracing, I think the next thing to probably do uh, is talk about audio and how audio goes into ray tracing. So one of the things they're doing with ray tracing is they're using that mapping that's happening with those rays going out and they're letting the audio information read that and one of the things that that's going to be that people probably don't think about right now is that in a game it's really hard for them to change the way the audio sounds based off of where you're located in the game so typically if you're playing a game and the audio sounds like it like you're in a cave 
It's because they recorded and processed that audio before it ever got on the disc to sound like someone in the cave. Yeah. Because they're scripting it to play when you're in a cave. One of the things that's going to be happen. Uh, one of the things that's going to be able to happen with this is that the audio itself can just be normally recorded, and then it can be adjusted based off of the environment around it to have certain effects. Almost like a profile assigned to it during certain areas of the game. Yeah. So essentially, the if if the game sees that you're going into an area that's cavernous, then the game and the ray tracing and the audio profile can essentially add reverb in real time so that suddenly when you're inside of a cave, you hear the echoing of the of your voice off of the rock walls. Uh, and that can happen in real time. So you can be start a conversation outside of the cave. Like Let's say you're playing Uncharted. You're out in a forest, and you can start the conversation. And then midway through the conversation, you start entering a cave. You're going to hear real time that audio change to have the amount of reverb you would expect out of a cave. And that's really cool. I actually think, you know, we were all talking like, what are they going to do with audio back when Mark Cerny talked about in that Wired interview? Yeah. What are they going to do with audio in regards to ray tracing? And this is a brilliant use. It is. And the calculations are already happening. Why not let the audio happen and and tap into that? Yeah. Yeah. Makes um, sense. Like that, that audio gamer from this is what I'm really excited for. Yes. And we'll talk about audio. We'll go ahead and talk about audio right now, actually. Uh, so one of the things that Sony's doing here is talking about that the PlayStation 4's audio stuff was not really a leap. And if anything, it was kind of a step back from the PlayStation 3. He actually brings up and talks about the cell processor and how it handled things and how it was really good for handling audio. So one of the things they're doing now, and this makes sense with their purchase of that audio company. I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head right now uh, last year, uh, but they're known for being in games um, and, and dealing with games. Um, so with this, they're talking about being able to set up things where the 3D audio that they've tampered with and toyed with and that you can somewhat experience in VR right now uh, that has a, that's what part of what that breakout box does is it takes the audio from the game, pulls it in and then gives it this quality that's going to give it not quality it gives it the information it needs to make it 3d and then be able to turn your head hear the audio differently that's something that you don't normally get in games and you definitely don't get it well uh like uh, shadow of the tomb raider recently one of the problems i had is that the game always sounded like even if i was directly behind somebody it was trying to make it i couldn't hear the people because it was lowering their volume so much that it's like well this even if i'm directly beside the person it's acting as if they're very far away because you're supposed to be walking around them. So in, a, in an effort to be realistic, they're actually worsening my experience. Yeah. Like the game music was overshadowing people's audio. And if it wouldn't have been for subtitles that I turned on, I'd had no clue what they were saying. And this is important story information. That's terrible. Uh, so yeah, terrible, terrible thing. But, one of the things they're wanting to do here is 3D audio so that it can look at where you are and where your head is and all these different things and where you would be within the world and try and, produce the audio in a way that's going to be best for you. Now, one of the ways that they're talking about doing that is by giving you a profile based off of where your ears are in relation to the rest of your head. And of course, Cerny talked about that. Cerny talked about that. Sounds a lot like Sony. It does. <laughs> uh, conspiracy? Uh-oh. Did Sony breed Mark Cerny to be? No. Uh, anyway. Test tube baby. <laughs> that's why he craves ears. He eats them. That's his food. <laughs> anyway. Um, he talks about the fact that they're going to, because of course you can't sit there and get everyone's perfect profile, uh, which requires them to put an apparatus of cameras around and kind of do this thing. And then essentially the game will use that information to make the audio as pristine for you as it can. So what they're going to do from launch is they have plans to have multiples of these HRTFs in, and you can choose one and then go through a test 
and see which one sounds the best for you and has the best effects for you. And then eventually in the long term, they're talking about plans to try and have a system that can actually tailor it to you. Yeah. Now, he mentioned sending in pictures of ears, potentially. That was just one idea of many of what you could do. Um, one bad and, idea of many. Well, but I understand it. You wouldn't send a picture into them. Essentially, what you'd do is you'd upload a picture to your PlayStation, and it would use a learning algorithm to apply the best look that it can to what they've known from their machine learning to fit your ear. It is weird, though, I'm not putting and I don't think a lot of ear, people would want to do it. Yeah, I'm not putting my ear on my PlayStation just so machine learning can... Here's what I should say. I don't think a lot of people would want to do it but when you... When you don't understand without doing it, you don't understand the potential benefit, right? If there was some magical way that they could let you hear the benefit that might happen, then you could weigh against your head of how much is it? Am I weirded out by them getting a picture of my ear versus the benefit that I will gain? From that has it? to be a terrible job in the AI world. Hey, Scott, what have you been learning today? Ears. What about you? <laughs> Phone numbers. Oh, guess I'll go back to my ears now. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's it's going to definitely it's one of those things that I think they're going to have a problem of in in terms of uh, it's a really cool idea and it sounds amazing. I think the biggest problem they're going to have is how do you show that? And I had I think they had the same problem with PSVR. How do you show the benefits without letting people try it themselves? And this is even harder because everybody's HRTF is different. VR, for the most part, they built in the ability to slide it and change the focus so that it was comfortable for as many people as possible. But this is even harder. I, this is going to be a challenge where I wonder what they're going to do to try and let people hear this. I think that they have at least are on the right side by including multiple HRTFs, as many as they can, so that you can at least get as close to hearing the benefits as possible by going through the different profiles yeah. that are included. But it's going to be interesting to see what Sony does with that. And if anything, it goes to show how different the two manufacturers are thinking. Microsoft has not said a word about anything even remotely like this. So it's cool to see that Microsoft is focusing on raw GPU power and what that can do. And then a huge case so that you don't have to deal with, instead of having to worry about all these different heat things that can happen and having to variable things down, just have a huge case. It may look weird, but it's going to give you the benefit that you're looking for. Instead, Sony's over here like, well, what can we do to make audio better? Audio hasn't changed in a long time. What can we do to change the way people make games what with can, speed? What can we do to sell you some of our earbuds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cool thing is, I should go ahead and say, this HRTF thing would actually be something that you would hear across all devices. You would hear the difference without having to get anything special. Right now, you could do Dolby Atmos, right? But Dolby Atmos is only 30 audio sources. And of course you have to go buy this thing in this particular thing. The hope would be hundreds of audio sources and being able to hear it from even just a normal two speaker TV. Now, again, these are things that easily exist in the ability to be go really on, easy thought. to talk about, but maybe not actually happening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you gotta think about it this way too. Like most of the people, you're going to be playing these games are going to get a headset of some kind. So if Sony can't even, I don't think most, if I actually had to be honest, dude, I, I think that you think that, and and here's the thing. I could also think that not because I don't, you use a headset often. I never use a headset. Well, I'm just saying, look at how many, look how many, uh, uh, I say copies, I guess that's the right word, but look at how many units of a PlayStation, uh, gold headset is sold over the course of like the last four years. Yeah. But here's the thing. Do you think that people are actually using that for gaming 100% of the time? Could be. Yeah. Even when they're not online, because I think that when you're talking about it from a, you have to have a headset on to talk to people online. That's one thing. And people are buying those headsets so that they have a comfortable, good sounding headset from when they're playing online. But when people are not playing online like me, I don't think that 
I think most people just use whatever their setup is because it's more comfortable. It's easier. You don't have to worry about charging a headset. But you don't have to worry about not being able to hear people out from around. That you. kind of becomes a problem, though, right? Is like if one of the big things this coming generation for Sony is audio and nobody's getting their headphones, they can can truly support it because not every TV well, no, speaker is going to be able to support this. That's properly. what he's saying. Is what what they're again. That's what it comes down to. What you believe and what actually happens. I don't now see. in a in a ideal world where what Sony said is true. They're able to do this on a normal two TV setup, a normal earbud, a normal anything. But the quality of audio can only be as good as the speaker. But it's not about the quality of audio. This is about the way that your ears are actually perceiving the audio that's coming out. This is about changing the way Maybe. the audio is processed yeah, I guess so that so. it hears for you. And I get it. It's so different from what you're used to. It is. That it's hard to imagine how they're going to achieve this. I don't want to trust it. Because that's exactly when people get Dolby Atmos, that's exactly what they're doing. They're buying a piece of equipment that's able to do this. Yeah. But Sony's talking about doing this in a way that would be that even if you have a normal pair of earbuds that came with your phone, you put it in and it, it'll work. Now, whether that actually happens... Remains to be seen, but it's exciting to think about. A uh, couple other things that we're going to do, and then we're going to get out of here. Uh, in relation to, we were talking about earlier this week, so, uh, Saul and I, Microsoft revealed their plan for expendable storage, uh, expandable storage on the Xbox Series X. And it is essentially proprietary flash cards. Memory cards in a way. Yeah. Uh, there's a spot, there's a, a slot in the back of the system that you can plug these into, uh, like the literal back of the system. Uh, and... It's right there alongside the power port, the HDMI port, all that. Um, of course, some people were lambasting them for this because it does. It's it's not as free as just saying like, "Hey, go buy whatever uh, hard drive fits the minimum spec requirements for the PlayStation Four or the Xbox One," and just putting a hard drive in the system. I will say what I do like about this though is that it is a very easy approach. It is a very simple gotta, approach. Yeah, yeah, you just take it out the package, you plug it in your system. Now, I think that the upside to these NVMe uh, two chart these M2 things is going to be they're very similar actually. Uh, all you'd have to do is open it, and there's a bay there, and you just click it in. No, you just it's, click it in. You have to screw it down. But here's the thing: is that going to avoid my mm -hmm. warranty? Uh, it doesn't on the PlayStation Four. It doesn't on the PS3. Okay, good. So it shouldn't. That's that. That's my big thing. Yeah. And, and I and they do say that, that there is going to be a list of suitable uh, M.2 drives that will be supported for PS5. Exactly. So don't go out and buy any now. But you've already probably seen the thing, so you probably already know. But yeah. yeah. So one of the things that is interesting about this to me is that uh, Blake is a prime example of someone who's like, well, now it's a specific drive. It can't be everything. I like just a normal hard drive. And and I would rather wait for the load speeds than get this. Now, one of the things that's going to happen on something like that is people don't think about it, but already not every hard drive is supported by the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One. Uh, not every external drive is supported by the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One. You actually have to get one that's specifically specified to work with. It has to be USB 3, has to be a certain gigabyte size. There's a lot of minimum requirements that come into this, and then how they work is based off of those minimum requirements too. You can get ones that are above the minimum requirement that'll do even better, which is cool, but... People who think that the hard drives that were already going, you couldn't just get any hard drive and put it in a PlayStation 4. It still had to be a two and a half inch. It still had to have certain gigabyte size. Still had to have all these different variables. Now, this is a little more complicated because it's something that's a little more outside of people's normal realm. Yeah. But so I'll give Microsoft's solution is a little easier, but it's also proprietary. To be fair, that's also what they've been doing the past three gens, right? It's like they've always had that weird proprietary hard drive they sell, which. They were doing that so far. Did you know that that on the Xbox 360 one that they actually came out with that you could eventually change the hard drive with the little tab one that was in a plastic shell? All that was probably an encased SSD. It's, it was an encased 
hard, HD hard DVD. Disc. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it had it was you had to it was really hard to take the thing apart and put another one in it. Yeah. They had their own little things. So it goes to show that Microsoft is no stranger to doing proprietary stuff with normal hardware. And to, to the benefit of the doubt, people are saying like this is what killed Vita. This is not what killed Vita. The prices on these proprietary cards is what killed the Vita. We don't know the prices on this yet, we so we can't the, say. But, and, up to, and so far, Microsoft's track record has been pretty good about these things being well-priced. Well, and I say this on both, Sony and whenever you buy the things that are actually branded for for them, it's ridiculous how much more they cost. If you buy an external drive that says it's for the PS4, it's like $30 more than the equivalent size. But it goes that same thing for Xbox, too. Yes, exactly. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Both of them have been bad at overpricing because it's made specifically for that. I don't. I think that which is this. It's it. That doesn't mean anything. Sony Sony's choice here, I do think, is the smarter of the two. But I don't think that you can quite write off Microsoft. I think they're both incredibly we, smart choices. I should say they're both smart in the way they work and in ease of use. I think both of them are easy to use. Microsoft is a little more easy to use. PlayStation is a little more free. There's in terms so- of free, but but cost. I think on this. We can't write off Microsoft's decision until we understand what cost is. So until then, I was going to say props to Microsoft for having a, an easy-to-do option that does what they want it to do. Good. Sony's, Sony's I, I like because it's a little more controlled. I get to go and say, hey, I want this particular brand with this particular thing. And as long as it hits minimum requirement spec that they give out, it's fine. The only thing with Sony's is that I almost will guarantee it's going to be more expensive. Well, why would it be more expensive? M.2 drives are more expensive than SSDs by nature. Well, I guess I should say So unless that, the proprietary tax on that Microsoft increases it by 20%, which is about roughly what an SSD is to an M.2. Well, I, I would say, yeah, it's probably aiming for that because both yeah. of these are MVM no, tr- they, drives. I thought the, the memory card for Microsoft is SSD, is it not? I mean, these are all SSDs. Well, it's a, it's an actual, it's not an M.2 SSD, though. It's flash memory on, a, on expense, so it's, it's no different than that. All that's going to happen now is the bandwidth that happens between the port. If the port's bandwidth bottlenecks, then you'll get a drop in speed. From yeah. It. But otherwise, no, it's the same thing. So, but the, but the size of this is proprietary. But it's easier. This is well. This is it's this big. Yeah. An M.2 drive is about four. Yeah, they're four longer and longer. thinner. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not a typical thing. So like that's what I'm saying is like the proprietariness of it is going to increase it to what you would pay for like that Samsung Evo I listed, which is ninety six dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's what also I'm saying the, is that's the Microsoft also, will, coincidentally enough that same one right there, right here yeah. that they give in the article. The the thing is is right. What I'm saying is that because of that form factor and change of the proprietariness, and that's exactly what's happening with the Vita memory card. It's no real different than an SSD. It's just in its own form factor and with its own encryption. Yeah, that but, means but yeah, that the Microsoft s- drive will be more expensive than Sony decided to make a sixty percent markup on those. Where a thirty-two gigabyte costs sixty dollars. Oh, no, I, I completely understand that, but we, but that's also because they're being made to a specific form factor. But no, so it costs them more to do it. We don't actually know what the markup was from Sony. We don't. Oh, but the thing is, though, is that anybody and we don't know what Microsoft markup is going to be. Here. Yeah, but Microsoft hard drives have never costed sixty percent higher than a normal hard drive, ever. Oh, I'd have to look, man. I don't no, know. I'm, I'm 100 sure. I'm 100 well, sure. Well, I should go back to say on the three sixty, the original clip-on hard drives were yeah. very expensive. No, yes, they're forty dollars. Dude, for for a twenty for a twelve gigabyte hard drive, no, yes. Now, not later in the gen, before on the on the elite. I'm talking about early when the system first launched. Do you remember when? Let's compare it to the first year of the 360, the first year of the PlayStation. Are, are you talking about the of the original one? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember anything about the original. Yeah, you don't one. remember the clip on one that sat on top of the Xbox that had a clip on. It was long and it was out. It stood outside that is the, original of the system. One. Yeah, that's the original okay, Xbox yeah. 360 hard drive. Okay. It was a clip-on drive. Yeah. And they were... They there were, were 20 gigabytes. Yeah. Well, there was 12 gigabytes, 20 gigabytes, and I think you'd go up to a 40 gigabyte. 
I think the 12 gigabytes were $40. Yeah, that's that was crazy price for that time period. You could get a 20 gig hard drive. Are you insane in 2006? Yes, you could get no. a 40 gig hard drive for $20. You can't get a 40 gig hard drive back in 2010 for that price. Yes, you could. No, you couldn't. To the, whatever, agree to disagree. Uh, either way, don't want to go too far. I'm actually, now I just realized I'm getting everything confused with terabytes. <laughs> I'm not saying, like, what are you talking about, dude? No, see, I'm talking, and, and, and to be fair, what I'm talking about was the uh, 360 Elite one that you were originally talking about that you inserted in the back. With it in now, that train. wasn't in the Elite. That was the S. Oh, same thing. They're all stupid. The Elite was still a clip-on hard drive from the outside. It was an external hard drive that clipped onto the top of the no, casing. No, that's, that's the same as the first generation of their hard drive. Yes, that yeah. was the same as the original 360 and the 360. Yeah, uh, th- that one. Con- I, whatever, arcade edition. I remember that one was fairly priced. Because that was at the same time that I had to buy one of those was still the same time period. It wasn't the Vita, so it was PSP that had the Duo Stick 2s. And those were still kind of outrageous for what those were, too. Duo Stick 2s were really well-priced, but that's because they also had a SanDisk version that you could buy that was supported by Sony. That that might be what I bought because I believe my Sony digital camera required that. The SanDisk does not, and and because more devices used it, that was also why it was cheaper. The the Vita memory card, no other device ever used it. There was two. The PSP had two different ones. The Memory Stick Pro Duo, which was used on some of their cameras, some of their camcorders, and the PSP. That's the one that I had to buy. Then the PSP Go had the M2 or whatever it was called, that was uh, supported by Sony's Ericsson phone line and the PSP that's Go. A, that's a really small one, isn't it? Super small. Okay. Yeah. I never had that one, but I remember it. Yeah. So anyway, um, with all that said, memory is at least expandable. Uh, and, and for anybody that doesn't know, it's 825 gigabytes. Uh, that sounds small, but one of the things that they talked about is that games have to duplicate items so much because of the original hard drive setup and to make the game stream well that you'd see items and certain assets duplicated on the hard drive up, or upwards of 400 times. Uh, so that increased game size hugely. If you can cut that down due to the SSD speeds, then that does mean that games are going to see a drastic reduction in size. Now, some of that reduction in size is going to go up due to four uh, to 4k mod um so excuse me due to 4k resolution textures if they ever go with true four ones we don't know quite yet uh but higher resolution textures are going to eat in some of that room so it's hard to say exactly where this lands uh based off of what sony's saying the average person's games and how they handle things should work fine on this given that all the variables together and that most people will not be affected by this. But for the people that do want to do something more, they of course have the ability for expandable storage. So that's good to know. Uh, last one up. I think that we can probably talk about realistically um, is that should be all of it. Shouldn't it? There was one other thing I was wanting to talk about. And I don't well, I can't remember it. Was it the fan or not the fan, but the, uh, Oh uh, yeah. It was going to be that the cooling solution was see, teased, but not fully talked. I don't, about. I don't want to talk about that. Cause they threw up a really proprietary chart on there that nobody understood. Well, they had, I, like, it looked like horizon and then like God of war and stuff. And they were like, if God of war is using this amount, then, and it's this loud pushing its edges, then horizon using this amount or something. Well, that was actually not in regards to the cooling. That was in regards to the original, to the chip and its variable clock speeds and how that would affect heating on a normal PS4 well, if they I mean. were to do it. Oh yeah. Now, one of the things you're talking about here cooling. is that the system is not going to have the same thing and it's not going to regard off of ambient temperature in your room. So normally your system has to downclock whenever you're sitting and playing in a hot room. The system has to compensate for that. It has to take in all ambient temperature. Yeah, so, Every chip does. I don't know. I, that's what I don't get is how this one's not supposed to, supposedly. Yeah, so that. right now they've not actually talked fully about the cooling system. They've, they teased it here and there and talked about it loosely, but essentially Mark Cerny said they're going to save it for a teardown. So when they actually get somebody to 
get a console and tear it down and show you everything. Um, Unless there's like a protector on this. That what, so we're going to see. Because well, what I should say is like the, the cooling for the for the 1X is phenomenal. It's crazy yeah, it's, and it's, it's a in a really, really great form factor. So if they're doing something even remotely similar and something even better, that's but that cool. still takes right now we don't know if your room's still hot you, you're that's going to contribute to your system being hot yeah but and vice versa actually. I, I should say the ambient temperatures comes down to the the system's performance the system won't have to scale down due to ambient temperatures well, that's what of, talking that about. goes off of cooling then so that, that means the cooling, cooling be should be adequate up, yeah with the ambient temperature yeah. and, and compensate for that which would make sense but at the same time we don't know much yet um so we hope that it's getting something like a vapor cooling chamber uh liquid cooling quote unquote yeah i mean technically it is i I don't i still don't like that that term when it when it comes like closed loop systems and like pcs because it's it is liquid cooling but it's not like what you think it is there's not a water reservoir with water that's constantly cycling in and out yeah only little bits going to and from yeah it's real interesting because you know those phones that have vapor cooling and they call the them liquid Aces, cooling. The stupid Aces phone. But if you cut them, it's weird. If you take the, if you take the phone apart and you take the battery out and you move it, and you see that little channel. If you cut it, water comes out. Yeah, and it's all it is is water running through a channel constantly that's carrying heat and dissipating heat. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it really it's actually is. it's it's amazing and it's interesting, but it just doesn't. I'm, that's why I prefer to call it vapor cooling instead of liquid cooling. No, technically, it's liquid, but it's liquid that's becoming vaporized and staying vaporized the whole time. Yeah, and that's that is something. Too, but it can't leave because it's within copper, so it moves. It and doesn't moves have to be heat. within copper either. It could be like a closed tube system, like like you find on the cheaper AIO coolers for PCs. Sure, it yeah. could just be in, it could be in rubber. A lot of them use uh, a lot of them use copper though because copper is a great. Well, they use a copper block, but they don't use copper tubes. Well, okay, the one in the phone I'm talking about the they I, use I, they use copper tubes. It's a it's a copper it's it's a flat thing, so it's only it's only probably about a, a millimeter or two thick, but it's pretty wide and it goes up the whole thing of the phone. It's, it's interesting. I guess that makes sense for small designs like that, that, that you can actually just carve a little tube out and then place one in. Mm-hmm. And copper is also very malleable, so you can make that weird shape. Yeah, and that wouldn't... I mean, I've seen people make copper tubing for like gaming PCs and stuff. That's just that's so stupidly priced. And in an enclosed device, you wouldn't want to use rubber because rubber will get hot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, uh, but either way, uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be a weird episode for a lot of people because of the fact that if you're not a tech head, this is a really weird show. I really think that there's plenty of ways that Sony can improve on this throughout the year and show more. I think when they decide to show games, they're going to talk about some of these things again and show them in real time in, in action. And that will be the way that a lot of this stuff makes more sense to you. Um, they'll have real time demos that you can see and clearly make sense for you. So we're going to, and, and for me, I didn't understand all this. I probably understood about 50 to 60% of this. That's, that's and the other parts of it were kind of going over my head. Uh, so it goes to show that this was really set and focused at one group of people. And it could kind of work for some like me and Saul, but others are going to be more confused than anything. Uh, Blake, one, one of our <laughs> friends, and uh, he was doing the watch along. We were talking on our Discord, and he mentioned that he, he about 80% of it went over his head. So. It goes to show you that this was not a good show for the normal folk who are not as into tech, uh, but I think we'll get one of those soon. Uh, So I guess um, my community's take will be something a little more broad. Uh, When do you hope to see, or when do you expect to see uh, more information about the PlayStation 5? When do you think the next event is going to be? The next whatever it is, be it a video or an actual event, depending on how COVID works out. Uh, when do you expect to see something else in relation to PlayStation 5 in a bigger dump format like I'm this? I'm calling it. We'll get a, a state of play in May. 
State of play in May. That has to be soon if the console's still coming out this year. Microsoft have confirmed that theirs are still coming out in holiday 2020. Yeah, it got weird because like they eventually, or like on the website said Thanksgiving, but then they're like, that's an error. Don't listen to that. Yeah. It's holiday. Yeah. Which so. is kind of like, is it really still holiday? Or like, was it originally Thanksgiving? Now it got pushed back even further. Hard to say. I mean, they both released in December uh, on the last generation. So yeah, but maybe that'll happen again. But anyway, I have a feeling that there's going to be people who don't really care for this episode. I don't think we did as good of a job as I would have hoped in trying to wrangle this stuff together. I can only hope that it made sense and that you enjoyed the episode. Uh, but of course, next week we'll go to something a little more lighthearted and different. So yeah, uh, when do you expect to see more about the PS5? And I'm going to go a little bit further. What would you like the next thing we see to be focused around? Console reveal with a controller. So... Yeah, whatever it is, the one big thing, if it, maybe you want to deeper dive into what backwards compatibility is going to be and how it works, if you want to just see the console how the controller, you, how do you, you want to see the games coming forward or what? How would you feel if the console that we get is the console, the dev kit? Oh, boy. Ooh. We'll, we'll <laughs> see. Hide that one behind my TV. I don't really mind. I know it sounds that, weird, that but I is, like it more than is, the Series X. Maybe no. because it just has more personality. That like, I'm have, not saying it's pretty it looks by like any a foot standpoint. Math. No. <laughs> It looks like a foot bath. I like the pizza warmer idea, Steel. That, that works too, but the Series X looks like, oh, that could be like a little cool mini stealth PC. This it just looks, looks like, like a refrigerator. And I'm not it even. It doesn't even look like a refrigerator. It, it looks like a, a weird mini fridge. Now, not in terms no. of size, For like but a single design. Coca Cola? Hold on. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's plain. I, I and this is not a hit to Xbox. All I'm saying is, I even like sometimes when it's something that's kind of goofy looking. I like it when something's got a little more personality to it than that. Yeah. I just like minimal stuff. That, like that looks like that's made to be hidden. That looks like that's made to just go, hey, it's just over there, and we don't want anybody to really I mean, with, ever with, see. There's it. like household speakers that look like that, like like Google speakers and stuff. Yeah, that's that, what I mean. Like it's meant to blend in the environment. I kind of like something that stands out a little more. I just don't think that thing would fit on my table if it was the uh, the the dev kit version. I don't know why I'd have not. to. I'd have to like move. I'd have to like put it in front of my TV or move my TV around, and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make a custom out and drill it and hide it up under the desk or something. All right. Either way, we're going to let Saul get out of here and uh, go ahead and wrap this thing up. You can find us on Twitter and uh, take part in our little community stake section, uh, and you can do that at. Uh, at triangle sqrd you can find us on facebook in the facebook group triangle square to playstation podcast you can find us in our day-to-day moment-to-moment lives along with many other people in the community uh, over in our discord which we always have linked in the descriptions below uh, if you're listening uh, to the show uh, you can always uh, listen of course you can watch it on youtube and subscribe to us over there if you like what we're doing it also helps if you give the videos likes of course it helps people find us and play into youtube's algorithm but if you're listening on something like itunes or an aggregate uh, podcast thing that lets you give reviews reviews are very much appreciated it lets us know what you like about the show it lets other people know what you do and don't like about the show and whether our show is uh, worth their time so to close these things off lastly you can support us in the show and our other shows like our recently released midweek matinee par- uh, podcast that we're doing uh, that I'm doing alongside some other people Saul's not part of that one nope. um, we do a we, we do a movie per week and talk about it in depth if you want to check that out it's up live now for everybody patrons get it a week early uh, so patrons are already able to listen to the second episode while everybody else just had the ability to listen to the uh, first episode on everything else so we appreciate you guys and we will see you next week thank you thank you all 
Thanks to our patrons, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonerd, Travis Blow, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, and Tyler Powers. If you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thank you.